You are listening to the Bondzilla Podcast. The Bondzilla Podcast is an ongoing analysis of two of cinema's longest-running franchises, James Bond and Godzilla. This week, we take a look at the first film in the legendary MonsterVerse as America gets a second chance to do right by the King of the Monsters. It's Godzilla 2014. everyone and welcome to another edition of the bondzilla podcast i am nick i'm will and uh we've got a big one today i feel like uh, big big enough that i have to personally thank nick uh for joining at on the mics uh stepping away from the release of disney plus i, yes. I know that this is cutting into some of that sweet sweet uh deep dive times not deep dive for bondzilla but no. deep dive into the random disney canon disney plus aka all the random family friendly shit that you kind of had a vague memory that it had existed at some point and then indeed does actually st- exist there's, there's stuff on there that you that i didn't know existed yeah or yeah. like i was like oh yeah i guess this does exist maybe i'll find a way to do a solo podcast about it that's on is, is that on that's on disney plus too my podcast no solo <laughs> No, it's not. It's not. No. What? What am I paying for? Rogue One. No. <laughs> you're playing. Ah, but wait, speaking. No, you're playing for McClunky. Oh That's what you're God, paying for. God, God. I need a McClunky shirt. Yeah. Nah. We. We'll, we won't. We won't get into that. But I'm a fan. Uh, speaking of Rogue One, that's a good segue yeah. into today's film. You know, Godzilla. It, yeah, because we're going to talk about a movie. That Gareth Edwards actually directed. Yeah. And we're <laughs> in the form of 2014's Godzilla. Nick, I feel like th- this says in many ways what this has been been leading up to. Like, it, it, it is... Yeah, I mean, I, I we, this really was part of the origins of the podcast. Because back in the days when 2014 was coming out, we were just about to graduate college. Can you, can you imagine that? Yeah. Um, and you were going on your Not own. only can I imagine, I can remember it. Because yeah. I did graduate that's, from that's college. What, this is where I really found out about your Godzilla fandom that you were doing. You were going to do this, God, you know, you're going to watch 30 Godzilla movies in 30 days or whatever it was. Or Yeah, because at the time it was like that thing where, you know, there was just enough amount of time before the new one came out. And right. there was just that many movies. So Which I was, you probably had wildly different opinions on than you Very, had. very much so. Yeah, definitely. And wildly different opinions on, you know, very much a different way of looking at movies as well. So, yeah. like, everything, everything changed um, the day the Fire Nation attacked. But... It's nice. Yeah. The the biggest thing I wanted to talk about first before we really get into the movie is that especially when we've talked about the American made movies, uh, the last one being uh, Roland Emmerich's 98 Godzilla, uh, we like to talk a little bit about what's going on film wise a, yeah. a little bit. Um, and we talked a lot about the changing times of what was going on in film in america with like you know where the blockbuster was with like home video and things like that and 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 stuff 
But so now, you know, not quite as much of a leap, but as, you know, we talk all the time, much changes in a short amount of time. And it seems like it's, you know, that is becoming more and more true every day. And it's interesting to look at, like, just the cinema landscape, especially, like, when it comes to blockbusters around this, I would say, the this period of 2010 to 2015. Um, and when it comes to blockbusters, well, just in general film, like, is there is there any other defining thing that you would say kind of, like, leading from that 2010 to 2015 period that... Yeah, it, I really, I think it's... I think it's where the, the film culture shifts in 2008. Yeah. When you have Iron Man and Dark Knight come out in the same year. Right. And I think, like, since then, there, I think both of those movies, and to an extent what would happen in the in the years after that, would change in the ways in which studios treated their franchises mm, in some mm-hmm. ways. Um, and I think we even see it with how, you know, the kind of confused way that Eon handles Bond. But I do think that there's kind of a more direct... You know, it's kind of coming off like, also, you know, Batman Begins and Casino Royale and Born Ultimate on this kind of gritty, you know, gritty reboot to gritty film era into kind of 2008 being that way. But I do feel like there was kind of a shift in mm-hmm. the ways in which studios, you know, presented their movies. And it was kind of the real, I mean, we're also kind of considering it from a larger culture perspective. I mean, Twitter begins not too long after that in 2009. And the wider movie fandom but also the wider kind of film niche fandom kind of gets his voices yeah through the through through the rising online social media platforms because really there is a stark difference between how you you got culture pre-2008 mm-hmm. and even post-2008 and i feel like there was so much opportunity for more types of these big movies right. to get made because the fandoms seem to, you know, in theory, seem to reach out so much yeah, wider. It, it, it was in the true infancy stages of like film fandom, and then like the whole adage of like the nerds rule the world thing. Like it hadn't quite sunk in yet, but no, it was getting there. It was like, still there. like down low, so it's still like kind of fun to be part of those fandoms. That I, you know, what? I was gonna say like the biggest thing about film during this period. Now I think about, which is kind of crazy to think about now, is like just a lot less angry. Oh, back yeah. then oh, yeah, yeah. I mean, like listen like i'm you know i it's there's, there's so much of an inside joke about diz twitter these days mm-hmm. and it was kind of nice to see that disney plus actually brought diz twitter together yeah for for the first time in a yeah. long well time for, now. D- like, for now like d- d- enjoy that while you can yes <laughs> but it was like a one day of just like everybody's like oh yeah you can watch Twenty Thousand leagues on the yeah. sea and, yeah. and all these true life adventure films are out there and, you know, but it was like back in this, like, you know, I, I was a big, you know, I was a big early adopter of Twitter. And one of the reasons was it was like that was just when my Disney fandom was budding. And Dis- uh, Twitter was an excellent way for me to kind of reach out mm-hmm. into the wider Disney fandom and, you know, be able to have these types of conversations. Well, sorry, go ahead. And and I think that that I, I do think that's an important aspect of like the culture that that was at, especially mm-hmm. Within these worlds where, you know, these big blockbuster franchises and these big cinematic universe were just in their infancy, just brewing into something that would come to define 2019 mm. in many ways, uh, you know, a decade later, we're kind of a decade removed from that. Yeah. And I feel like that's an important aspect when we talk about where the film world is, because it just it feels like there is a distinct thing where once those two superhero movies come out in 2008, I, I there's just a distinctive 
track that mm. the film industry goes from there. Well, I think you're right. It, it ultimately, if we're coming down to blockbusters and ultimately Godzilla, the biggest thing that had happened during this period for movies was, I think, a two punch of specifically those two movies of not well, no, not specifically those two movies, but The Dark Knight and The Avengers. I think are the two movies that those, definitively those changed two, it all. Those are the two, definitely. Yes, yeah. I always just say it's just weird to think that Iron Man and The Dark Knight came out in the same sure, year. Sure, yeah, yeah. Like more so, like The Dark Knight was the real like event of that well, year, the reason- but then Iron Man was really like the beginnings of something that nobody could imagine where it was going to True. go. But you're you're very right in that The Dark Knight. There's there's a period of like The Dark Knight starts something that The Avengers fully brings into well the avengers the dark knight is the thing where it made this property that could be you know passed off as like being like sorry let me start over it 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 made this property that was that had ultimately failed for being too childish or campy or whatever and is ultimately like a comic book strip um i can't believe i called it a comic book strip that's weird uh but it is ultimately a comic book and they made it like a serious action blockbuster yeah. that is you know that people to this day can still consider one of the best you if know, not the had, best like, comic genuine book like oscar worthy performance right and then the the reason i say the avengers is because the avengers ultimately when you think about it like you said made one of the highest grossing movies at the time out of a bunch of characters that to be fair, nobody had that and, much familiarity and they with. And were doing something that really had never been done. Right. To do that extent is that you had, you really like, the Avengers, you know, and I, I, I get where people say like, you know, The Force Awakens was the last true like event movie mm-hmm. that th- in terms of like, you had to see it. But I always felt like the Avengers just, nothing will ever beat seeing that movie in theaters. Right. Because it was just this thing of like, we are seeing something that's never been done. And... We're seeing like you know a true like crossover mm-hmm. within the cinematic world, and and it really is like the Avengers being as successful and those characters becoming cultural icons, right? I think is something that the rest of Hollywood has been chasing it, for well, such a long time. And it's funny because both movies in this franchise of legendaries Godzilla, I feel like they have taken the stab at making a. Maybe not a Dark Knight, but a Batman Begins Godzilla and also an Avengers Godzilla, mm-hmm. which is kind of interesting to see that they have ultimately taken both approaches with it. Yeah. Uh, but those are the two movies. So, And and that ultimately leads us, finally we're here, to 2014's um, Godzilla to just give you a little bit of context of where of, yeah. of the era in which the, this film is getting made. So as we get into this, let's talk a little bit about the road specifically of how this movie... Yes, because our, our last, you know, anything Godzilla film-wise was all the way back in, you know, 2004. Yes, uh, yeah. So, so there's 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 a distinctive gap within Toho's contributions, and obviously, too, it's been since 98, since the Americans have truly tried to touch mm-hmm. Godzilla, other than, like, you know, dubbing and stuff like that. Like, in terms of... Yeah, like, I mean, it's one of those things where the you're cr- absolutely correct that the last Godzilla film was in 2004 but if we're talking about american audiences and and many parts of the world at large the last godzilla film really was in 1998 especially to americans like i guarantee you the average person they had an attempt with 2000 but 2000 really didn't do much in that wheelhouse right And, and it's interesting because you know this was a movie that the build up to the movie 
was, and, and this is always the thing, it's never necessarily a good baggage to have, but the only joke about this movie was like, well, it can't be as bad as the Matthew Broderick Godzilla. Like, yeah. that was constantly was, the narrative about leading and, up to this and movie. fat Godzilla jokes. That's true. <laughs> See, if it came out today, it would be like thick Godzilla. <laughs> oh, boy, yes. T-H, uh, capital T-H-I-C-C. But, um... But but it is interesting leading because the legacy of Godzilla up to this point, especially if we're talking about an American Godzilla, was that similar to actually how Batman begins when you think about it, it it's so hard to think about like like a Batman movie this way. But there was a time that Batman Begins was, you know, the pay, you know, the making up for the previous Batman movie of Batman and Robin, which many had considered killed off not yeah. only the, the franchise, but the entire subgenre of superhero films. Mm-hmm. Um, so it, it's one of those things that people never really think about, but yeah. in, in any case, Godzilla 2014 is kind of po- poised in that same mm-hmm. like area where it's like, all right, now we're going to do this, but not only does it have to be good, but it has to kind of like overcome this hurdle, which many people don't think is really that much of a hurdle to overcome, despite it being baggage regardless. Yeah. So that's where we're leading up into well, this. Well, it's just a memory of just like, well, the last time the Americans tried to try to do this, look what happened. Right. Yeah. It's just that there is that thought. Um. So that so those were the last two Godzilla films um, of really big import the last uh, one was in two, the last Toho film was in 2004 and Toho had made a definitive statement that this was the time when they were going to go on a on a hiatus with Godzilla not a permanent one as they had often promised in the past but this was the time when they're like okay it's like yeah. it's time for us to step away from the franchise for a while so there were, truly was a time where there was no Go- Godzilla act- plans yeah no are there anything between this period or is it like a really like this is you know is there anything between to- the- there is no official Toho productions uh okay. in development like so basically it, it was really like okay they, well, they were, were keeping to their word that now again as i said they had admitted that you know they would be open to doing something doing something it was just you know, they you know right. could, there, and, there was and no- always were a broken record on this but remember that they were going to do that in you know 98 but then you know the 98 film happened right. so they felt but obligated there was no, like, to come back like random like oh in 2010 toho was like maybe but then they didn't like there's uh, nothing, nothing well to not toho specifically but there was a project that ultimately uh planted the seeds for the film that we are going to be talking about today so nick if you remember all the way back during the days of the of the Showa era, with Godzilla versus Hedorah, director Yoshimitsu Bano yes, um, yes, yes, yes. had always wanted to make a follow up film called Godzilla 3D, which would be a essentially a reimagined remake of Godzilla versus Hedorah. Okay. It was always like a passion project of his that he wanted to mm-hmm. do. Um, so he went ahead and what he did is that in, a in a, around like the 2004 period when, you know, Toho said like, all right, we're going to go on a hiatus. Yoshimitsubano approached Toho and said, well, can I secure some of the rights to create my own Godzilla film? And Toho's attitude to it was basically like, yeah, like you can go do your independent, uh, project because it was essentially pitched as 
a short film. It was right. it was going to be a 3D short film right, that remade and, Hedora. And, and at one point, it was going to be IMAX, I think, I remember we talked yes, about. Yes, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was going to be an IMAX 3D short. Um, and Toho said, yeah, go go at it. But, you know, it's kind of up to you to find, like, they, they weren't going to be producing it. They were just lent, loaning out the rights. But it's up to you, Mr. Bono, to secure all the funds and the money and basically make this film uh, make this film yourself. Uh, so the move, so Bono moved ahead with the movie. Uh, it was tentatively called uh, Godzilla 3D to the Max, which is kind of a badass title. <laughs> very <laughs> sounds like a roller coaster a, at Universal. You know what? It very, very like mid two thousands IMAX title. Mm-hmm. If if I went to see a movie at an IMAX theater, because because again, I talked about this briefly, but that period of like IMAX stuff was like really weird, where it was like. Yeah, you had, like, the occasional movie, like, Fantasia 2000, but then you had, like, the Deep Sea documentary or, like, the yeah. dinosaur IMAX, like, education. No, I, I, I remember, because I went to all those as yeah. a kid. Like Right, yeah. but it's just, like, but like hearing if if you called me in 2006 and said, oh, we're going to go see this IMAX Godzilla 3D to the max, I'm like, yes, that's a title that definitely would have existed around yeah. 2006. So Bono went ahead and uh, started to basically recruit a team, like, this is, like, some sort of heist or something. <laughs> Uh, that because that's how I envision it. He's just like you know, like he's like Frank Ocean getting a crew together, like so. Danny Ocean. Yeah, sorry, Danny Ocean. Who's Frank Ocean? Is that a guy? Frank Sinatra played the original Danny Ocean. All right, so I was close. Yeah. No, isn't Frank Ocean the singer? Wasn't there like a singer? Isn't there a singer? No. Whatever. Uh, but um, so anyway, he went around and um, he uh was able to secure uh some producers. Uh, some visual effects supervisors, uh, some cinematographers. You're just gonna interrupt me with this Frank Ocean yeah, thing. Frank Ocean is a, a singer. Okay, I, I, I like I, I like to think that I, I had my wires crossed with the other one, but yeah. no, I just said a random name. Um, so we got together, uh, basically a team, and then an American producer, uh, Brian Rogers, and they who signed on to the project um, after meeting with Bono, and basically. The biggest thing they had, even though they had a crew, they needed a production company. So um, the team met with Kerner Optical, which was a which was a special effects production company at the time, um, which is very fitting in some ways since Godzilla um, traditionally in Japan is a lot of it is you know driven by that special effects directing versus like the human yeah. actor directing. Mm-hmm. Um, so they came on board to help develop the technology to produce the three D short. Um, and uh, they were going to put all the money behind the movie. Uh, but at a certain point in... Oh, no, no, no. Before that happened, uh, Optical uh, Kerner Optical actually went back to Toho and uh, renegotiated uh, the rights that they had previously given to Bono to produce the short, and they had convinced Toho that not only can we produce this short... But we can actually we feel that we can produce a feature length film, and so through a lot of talking, negotiating, and as we've talked about, Toho is necess- not necessarily even though they're you know precious of the rights, and I think we've learned that they become more precious of the rights of Godzilla um, going forward. But they are always open to a collaboration for somebody else to make a Godzilla film. I mean. Jesus, they just gave this guy the rights just to make a short IMAX yeah. <laughs> 3D experience. But they were always open uh, to having some sort of uh, production being made. So um, they were able to renegotiate the rights and create a uh, feature-length 3D film, and on to production they went. But unfortunately, uh, in 2008, 
Kerner Optical started facing financial troubles uh, that basically brought all of production to a halt on the film. Mm-hmm. Um, so with that in mind, it basically became a scramble to like, how well, how do we get this film made now? Uh, so Kerner Optical actually met with how we know them today as legendary pictures to say, listen, can you help out? Can we do like a co-production on this thing? Or can you like, can we work with certain producers? Like, can is there any way that you can help us get this movie, uh, get this movie made? Um, and then around that 2009 uh, period, uh, legendary actually not only agreed to hop on to like, you know, fund the movie, but take an active role in producing the film Went, flew out, met with Toho to not only, you know, renegotiate some more about what this movie would be and what they wanted to do, and they got Toho's approval of doing it. And at this point, Toho, I think, felt a little bit more comfortable because this wasn't just some random special effects production company like Legendary Pictures. Um, Basically, they had... The way that the story has kind of unfolded from what I have read is that they may have pitched, like, listen, this, we're, this is going to be a big Hollywood picture. It's not just going to be, like, you know, uh, like kind of like a weird short can we passion back, project. Can we go back to our old Hollywood executive? <laughs> this is going to be a big Hollywood picture. We're going to put we're gonna then, Godzilla back on the silver screen. To- Toho's like, that's our studio. <laughs> But uh, and I think they had even said that, you know, that they may have gotten Warner Brothers involved involved because ultimately this was going to be a, at the time a Warner Brothers um, uh, uh, co-produced uh, venture. Um, so I think there was a little bit more um, confidence in what was going to happen. And Toho was extremely happy despite the what happened with the 98 film. They were very much willing for the Americans to take another whack at it. Um of course, this time I think they were going to be very. This, this is def, uh, decidedly when Toho was going to be super careful about how much that they lend to mm-hmm. an American studio. So it was specifically like you only get Godzilla. That's the only monster we're giving you, um, and that's you know, and that that's that. Um, so with so with that said, uh, this uh, Godzilla 3D to the max, which is not the movie that came out. Um, Bono's passion project of making this 3D IMAX short uh, kind of grew out of his hands and uh, turned into a feature-length film and ultimately got renegotiated into a completely uh, new film altogether. Um, and Bono had always been somebody who had said that despite all that, which he doesn't, I don't see any you know uh, ill will about it, but he always said that he was going to get that movie made no matter what. But unfortunately, he did not get mm. to see that come to fruition when he passed in uh, 2017. And uh, you know what? Hedora got pushed out. Yeah. No, no more Hedora. There, there's the alternate timeline where we got a 3D IMAX Hedora short. So we would have to be watching for this podcast. <laughs> so in 2010, Legendary officially announced that uh, they had they were partnering up with Toho and uh, got the rights to make the this American reboot of, of Godzilla, or reimagining whatever you want to call it. Um, they had announced that they would be working with Warner Brothers Entertainment and. Um, that the goal was that they wanted to make a film that was closer in line with the 1954 film and tone and thematics and also the way in which you in which the fans know Godzilla and basically it was an entire marketing campaign of it's not going to be the 98 Godzilla so it, it, it's kind of one of those things where it's 
it's kind of annoying eye-rolling baggage, but it's one of those things where their marketing strategy was already made yeah. for them. It's mm-hmm. like, you know, the last movie sucked. This one, as long as we say, as long as we basically do every opposite thing that you remember from that one, then, I mean, that, I mean, listen, I mean, they did that with Star Wars, too. It's all going to be practical. It's all going to be, like, practical effects and puppets, except yeah. for every giant set piece, but, uh, which look amazing. But it, but it is funny, like, that just kind of became the crutch that they, you know, yeah. that they, uh, that they leaned on. Right. Um, uh, There's gonna be no Jar Jar. There's gonna be no Mayor Ebert or Mayor. You know. <laughs> I'm sorry. I just forgot about that. I forgot about the mayor. Uh, I forgot about the mayor Ebert. So, um, so so all of Legendary basically put all of their uh, resources uh, in into making this, or most of them. A lot of the producers got on board to find out the best way to reimagine Godzilla. Um, there, there had been some. Um, in terms of like the movie that they wanted to make, because that was the story that it's kind of like all over the place, but basically it became kind of like a big hodgepodge of like what exactly that they wanted to do. They had the kind of like the blueprint of like, these are all the beats that not the beats, but these are all the things that we want to make sure we hit, which again is like, make sure it's not that film, but also like, all right, well, he's got to look like Godzilla. Like, you know, we kind of want to make it about like the nuclear thing and all that type, all, all that type of stuff. Um, one of the other decisions very early on was that they did, in retrospect, it has come out that they did want to make it a monster versus monster, uh, Mm -hmm. battle, um, because they thought that was something that was going to differentiate it from the 98 film and felt that it had become a staple of the Godzilla franchise, uh, up until that point. I can see it because it's it's an idea that definitely gives the film a different type of energy. Yeah. And and it's kind of... Than just being another giant monster attack movie. And it's interesting given that that was hidden in the marketing for quite a bit. Yeah. Like, it wasn't until, like, it was very much hinted it was it was hinted in a few shots in the trailer but not until like the final trailer that there's like oh there's another monster in here but like from the get-go they had always planned that it was going to be another monster and they actually uh took a few cues from the uh elian rocio uh is that am i saying their name yeah, right Elliot, yeah I, rocio yeah rocio uh their script that they had written back when you know when he was fighting the griffin mm-hmm. like so there were some things that they had drawn from those early days of american production um in terms of directors uh at a time there was a rumor that they approached guillermo del toro for it and uh guillermo del toro has denied that um and that doesn't surprise me that that was a rumor because guillermo del toro was just in that period of well frankly accepting way too many projects yes. but um, oh, al- yes. also he was just like that name at the time where of course he everybody wanted him yeah. to do he was the Nathan Fillion of directors is is, is basically <laughs> <laughs> yes <laughs> The, the is that a, is that a, is that a Nath- good quote? The Nathan Fillion train has cooled these days, but you got to yeah. remember back like it was like oh like he's going to be in like he's going to be you know he's going to be green he's going to be green lantern. He's going to be green lantern, he's going to be Nova. It's going to be Nathan Drake. Yeah. He's going to be everybody. There, there was a time where like, you know, those early castle days where everybody just wanted Nathan Fillion and then that just Joseph Gordon-Levitt was that for a hot minute too. Yeah. He was everybody. But I also feel like whereas I feel like Gordon-Levitt just went on his own track Whereas, like, I feel like the Fillion love kind of cooled a little bit. Yeah, yeah, that's true. Um, so, ultimately, in uh, January of 2011, Gareth Edwards was announced as the director of the yeah. film. 
Um, and at this point, Gareth Edwards um, was, and and it is interesting to, as you say that. Um, well, even though he's brought into the film a little bit earlier than Avengers days, but this does kind of start that train of we see about these like smaller uh, directors being given like these bigger projects mm-hmm. uh, for better or worse as we look at the big picture of it. But you know, I I've often been one of those where I have felt that it has often. Um, been inspired choices that have come out with more interesting blockbusters i've always sided on on that one on on that side of the equation um but at this point he had directed a film called monsters now i don't know have you seen monsters i've not yeah so monsters is it's a very uh it's as indie as you get i mean it looks great for an indie movie but it's one of those things where it's notoriously like he like did all the special effects on his laptop it's like one of those type of films uh, it's basically about like a guy, I think, played by Scoot McNary, and he's uh, helping this, uh, essentially, this girl cross like this border that is hard to get across because there are monsters, which I think in the film are revealed to be aliens that have basically crashed onto the planet, and then they like inhabit like this section of like the planet or like the country or whatnot. And you know, the easiest way to get through the country is like through there, but you have to have like a guide and stuff like that. Um, a solid movie. I, I remember watching it and I was like, oh yeah, I didn't really get the sense of like, you know, this is why this guy needs to direct Godzilla other than it has giant monsters in it. But mm-hmm. I mean, it's like, it's a solid, it's a solid film. I yeah. thought, uh, so I, I would go check it out. Um, so, he was brought on, and uh, Edwards was one of those people where he was constantly always that guy where he had so much respect for the material. So, uh, once again, very opposite of 98. Yeah. Like, get a guy, last time you got a guy who did not give two shits about yeah, Godzilla. Yeah, like two guys who did not give two yeah, shits. Yeah, like, everybody didn't care about him. This guy's literally like, you know, we we can't, like, I, he, he tells this amazing story where uh, he was doing, I think, a location scout or something. Mm-hmm. And uh, he was talking on the phone with the guy. And uh, they throughout the conversation, I think the guy kind of caught on to what the movie was. And he's like, are you directing Godzilla? And then he's like, yeah. And he's like, don't fuck it up. <laughs> and then the guy hung up. And then, and then Edwards has always talked about that was the story because he, he, like, he legitimately always felt that that was always like his thing he would always say to himself. He's like, don't fuck it up. Don't yeah. fuck it up. Like It's like this has got to be like the, the best that – uh, he could possibly make it. So the film remained in development uh, for the next couple of years into two, 2012 um, with no really planned release date at the time. Uh, they were just working at the, on the film. Um, and then after a while, after developing the film, Edwards and the production um, crew made basically a with that kind of like a not necessarily a sizzle reel but a tone reel yeah. about like this is kind of like the vibe that we're going for with this Godzilla which yeah, yeah. ultimately became the initial tra- uh, tra- yeah. not not the full trailer but the teaser that they ultimately ended up showing yes. at Comic-Con. Comic-Con. Yes, yes, um yes. which if you which I I remember this was this was back in the days where this was like peak college era. Yeah, this was very this was peak college. And I remember this was one of those. This for me was like hearing the when the, like the the Iron Man trailer leaked for the first time. Remember that, and you got like little glimpses of oh, it. My, my, I've said my memory of like the random leak or the random drop of the Tron Two teaser at that time, uh, and the the leak online of it, that was very much my version of that Mm -hmm. because that was also like, that was like at a randomly at a 
the race of which mountain panel. And yeah. Like, yeah, we have something at the end here, but that was but like that era of Hall H because now that like people know what Hall H, it, it's like sure Hall sure H was still establishing what it was at that time, and I also feel like nowadays it's so much easier to get that information like about what's it's going on. It's easier. You, you know, what's going to be there. And at times the information has kind of already been out there, if yeah. not confirmed, like, right. and, and there's some cool stuff like every now and then you still get like, I mean, Marvel still does a pretty good job at like keeping like, Oh, that, that was a yeah. surprise. I didn't see that coming, but for the most part, yeah, it's not because I remember when this happened, this was one of those where I went online and I looked up what the, the description of the footage was. Yeah, and it yeah. was like, Oh my God. And then if anybody remembers, I think you can find copies of it now where it was kind of like a tone reel of the, um, Oppenheimer speech about, you know, the, the, the terror of creating like the bomb and, and, yes, and whatnot, yes, like yes, the, yes. I, now I become the destroyer of world speech. Um, and it was basically just treating it like it was like a huge disaster film. Yeah. Like it was all these shots of like, of like plane crashes and destroyed buildings and piles of bodies, I think at one point. And then at one point there was what looked like a multi-limbed kind of naked mole rat looking creature, uh, the, the body of one. And then the screen cuts black and you hear the roar for the first time. And then it pans and then it like fades back in and you just see like rubble and everything. And we'll, and we'll get to it in talking about the film, but the, the thing it captured right away that I think remained consistent from that tone video to the film itself is just that epic scale that they were giving Godzilla. Like, clearly that was always part of Edward's vision, and it, it, and it was pitch perfect from day one. Right. And then it's, like, him turning around as, like... Oh, and it, it, it was just enough of a taste where you could tell that he looked like exactly how Godzilla needed to look like. And um, the... A, a couple fun facts about that video is like so that creature which i believe in the fandom has a name uh, i can't think of it off the top of my head but of course you know one of the best parts of fandoms is of course it has a name because the creature itself was never meant to be a creature in anything else other than this sizzle reel yeah. it was only supposed to be a dead creature for the purposes of proving to the uh to the rest of legendary and warner brothers and then eventually to the crowd that there will be another monster in this film in some capacity yeah like it's not just going to be only Go- godzilla, godzilla Rampage. and it's just funny that now that creature has kind of taken a name yeah. of, in and of its own and there there's even people who are saying like maybe it'll appear in the monsterverse someday and um and, and also fun fact bits of that sizzle are in b-roll in king of the monsters like if you look really closely if you do a comparison like there's like just like like it's like stuff like on the news screen right, like yeah. it's like oh that destroyed building is that same shot from the sizzle reel um so so that was fun. So, uh, so then the hype machine and uh, just starts getting uh, right. pro- propelled uh, with yeah. the, with this film. Um, a little bit behind the scenes, though, uh, the writing of the film. Uh, this was one of those films, uh, those studio films that went through a lot of different writers. I have the sense that they, I mean, like you have names like um, like Ed- Edwards took some work on it. Um, I have like. Uh, Frank Darabont did a pass on this at one point. Uh, Goyer did a pass at this. Um, and, you know, he always said, like, uh, you know, it's not like he wrote it. He just kind of, like, did a, like, did yeah, a few. Did, did, a lot. Did, did, like, a draft on it. Um, Max Bornstein uh, was Max Bornstein, Drew Pierce. Basically, it was just, like, it was kind of one of those scripts that I think was 
basically just being polished out to make a functional movie. And it was one of those films that I think was leaning more on the auteurness of the director to basically, you know, film make film make your way into this movie. Like, yeah. you know, because and especially like given like how can you not trust the guy after you see that sizzle reel? Yes. Like it's like now you're like, oh, this guy has a vision for right. what and, this and, needs, and, what this like, needs to be. You know, the, you could, like Roland Emmerich's not making a sizzle reel. He's just kind of going out there and, and doing what he needs to do. Whereas like there's there's time and effort and care into you know knowing what these these movies are about and kind of what you can do with these movies and then presenting that. Yeah. You know? Yeah, like, I mean, just like it's just a, it's, it, but it's also I think very much emblematic of also the era of the movies being made, mm-hmm. you know, in trying to really showcase, you know, because like in '98 you're just not making that type of thing, like, yeah, you're not making that type of reel to prove to people. You're just like doing models and doing scripts and like, oh, we're just gonna shoot this thing, right? Yeah. Nowadays it's like really much like you're doing all this pre-production, you're doing all this kind of testing and and ideas, mm-hmm. but it really just shows like the passion that Legendary and Gareth Edwards had for making this movie and and, and bringing you know, a kind of good version of Godzilla 2 in American audience. Yeah, and another thing is, like, despite all the writers, like, there w- the consistency of the story was always that that it, it, it definitely was very theme-driven, that with all the drafts, the constant idea was that they wanted to focus on that era of Godzilla when it represented something. And then the biggest thing that they wanted to bring in this one was that they were making it more of a man versus nature story. And that they were bringing back that, oh, like Godzilla is a force of nature. Like, and that was the way that they felt that they could uh, create Godzilla in a more contemporary uh, setting. Also says here that Tony Gilroy also contributed to some additional uh, uncredited rewrites. Man, Tony Gilroy cannot keep his hands off a Gareth Edwards movie. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> uh i'll promise to keep the rogue one jokes <laughs> to to a minimum um well don't choke on your aspirations <laughs> love it um let's see some other ideas that were originally in the film that were rejected was that there was a origin story a more definitive origin story for why godzilla was in the film or was awakened and was going on a rampage, uh, is that Godzilla would be found entombed in a uh, in a block of ice in Siberia, which is also funny for two reasons. One, because we have seen a version of that in the Godzilla canon with the uh, King Kong versus King Kong, Godzilla, yeah. and, and, and something that happens at the end of Rage Again, yeah, and then also the beginning of King Kong versus Godzilla. Uh, funny in three ways, actually. Uh, this idea was proposed as the post-credit scene at one point for Kong Skull Island. I do remember this, uh, but was ultimately scrapped again because timeline-wise, it just wouldn't make any sense. And but the reason it was uh, ultimately shot down by Legendary is because they learned that Man of Steel was going to have a similar plot point. <laughs> Uh, with the spaceship of solitude, as I called it, uh, where mm. Superman would go and find oh uh, an ancient thing that was on this planet for a lot of years, uh, entombed in ice. Um, Thanks, Man of Steel. <laughs> I don't know, man. I, no, no, no. no. Like, I mean, what, yeah, what, what they came up with was better. I, like, I, I never got yeah. like, but, and it, it was interesting because it's like I'm, then, I'm just like my my Man of Steel thoughts are bubbling up. We need to move on. We need to move on. Okay, all right. Um. So the no, bit- how about this? A genuine thank you, Man of Steel. <laughs> genuine, one of the few things you did right. 
So uh, one of the other big things uh, was the creature design because that was a big sticking point for, you know, they didn't want to do the big iguana that they had done previously. Um, And so obviously the goal was to make it more akin to the original Godzilla. Mm -hmm. Uh, Edwards had a very interesting creative process to coming up with the look for this Godzilla. And he said that the idea that he gave his artists was that think of it this way, that the 1954 film was based off an actual creature and that the producers at Toho saw this real Godzilla and then tried to create an approximate version for the 1954 film. And that was kind of like, he's like, think of it from that way that like that, that man in a suit is actually based off of a creature in real life. Mm -hmm. And then that was the way that they uh, had approached designing it. Uh, And some other elements with the designing is that Gareth Edwards wanted to uh, take a lot of inspiration from nature. And then he took um, some inspiration from both bears and uh, Komodo dragons and specific. Yeah, the Komodo dragon, I think, is is when you mentioned that actually just really popped in. Like, oh, yeah, no, that definitely has Komodo dragon elements. Yeah, he took inspiration for that for the head design of Godzilla. It sounds like the man bear pig, just like a base idea from South Park. it is kind of like a man bear pig. Except yeah. instead of a pig, you have a Komodo dragon. Yeah, it's, it's a man bear dragon. Yeah. Sounds dangerous. Um, Andy Serkis was brought on board as a consultant for uh, motion capturing to, uh, you know, bring yeah, the creature to life. Yeah, because there's no other people that can consult. Well, it's interesting because now there are. Like, well, now it, there's, like, no, a lot of people. But at yeah. the time, he but was Andy, the guy. And he was the man. He still is. Yeah. Um, He's directing Venom, too. <laughs> Check, please. Check, please. Godzilla's uh, roar was revamped for the movie, which I think the roar is interesting because Godzilla has one ultimate iconic roar with the roar that we know from the Toho movies. But this roar has actually quite been effective, I I, I, I do like the roar. I do like the 2014 roar. Yeah, uh, and what they did is that they actually based it off of they went to Toho and got the original recording of the roar, and then they extrapolated from that. And at one point... Um, they uh let's see what it says here using microphones that could record a sound inaudible to humans the team found sounds to match the initial shriek and the and the finishing bellow and they extrapolated from that um what they did was once they finished designing the the roar they tested it on the back lot of warner brothers using a tour uh using a tour speaker array for the rolling stones and estimated that it would be heard about three miles away (laughs) And that's how they tested it. That like they wanted it to make sure like this is a roar that would be like this effective if it was like a creature this big. Um, so that's how they came upon that. So, uh, so that that is kind of where it comes down with our Godzilla of the film, which I think we should talk about a little bit. Yeah. Um, Nick, I mean you're you're the one who has to talk about the monsters mostly. What do you think about? legendary goji as the you, fans call them you know what like it's really weird to think about this because really this my it, it feel like this is my godzilla in in a way that like this is really the first godzilla i familiarized myself with i i really like this godzilla i really like the design i think is unique but brings kind of you know, I, it's funny because what I think is like, yes, it kind of feels of nature, but I also feel that this Godzilla has this kind of like 
old world feel mm. like you know because it's this whole thing is it's like an, it's an ancient creature within the context of the legendary movies but it has this kind of the way that it looks it just feels like it could be something that existed you know hundreds of years ago, yeah thousands of years ago and so i've always liked that i actually do kind of like sort of the bigger frame mm-hmm. uh, especially for how it's presented in this first movie mm-hmm. um and i like i my thing about this one um, in terms of it being Godzilla, and it's kind of going a little bit into the stuff about like the legendary verse as a whole. But you know me that like I like the Showa version where there's that kind of heroic aspect of the character. And I what I like most about the legendary Godzilla is how they really do present him as. It's the best way I think they've really presented him as like a neutral force, if that makes sense. Like, right. He he's not presented as this bad guy creature, but he's also not presented as a hero. He's presented as an animal. Mm-hmm. He's presented as a part of nature that you know we are we are encountering for the first time. And I think that makes this version of Godzilla so effective. Is yes, he does have these destructive tendencies, but also you can have that moment at the end of the movie where he is celebrated because you know he does have like you know this kind of godly nature to him right that that really just feels like natural to what the character is yeah and i have an affinity for this godzilla i mean definitely i i think that it is it this godzilla is just one of those designs where there just really isn't anything wrong with it and i mean there has been like the you know the funny criticism about it being you know thick zilla and like like, you know yeah but it's one of those things where it really in in motion and practice, it really doesn't feel doesn't that way. Feel that way. It, no, it's only give, like they still give him some speed, especially in, more so in King of the Monsters. But right. they still give him like an energy that you. I feel like that's the thing too. Is like within this, they do kind of keep that that suit performer energy that I feel like really kind of helps bring that Godzilla within all those other Godzillas. Yeah, that I I think, especially as a CG creation because obviously it's, it's you know. Just like in '98, it's a CG creation as opposed to a suit performer. Yeah, uh, and you know, no suit performances happen. But I feel like there is like that energy that you do give at least Godzilla, where yeah, he is gonna be kind of moving like a suit performer, but like maybe a little bit more energy wise. And it, it, the the thing about it though is like in the 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 look of him and the, the chubby thing really only happens like depending on like the angle it's yeah. at. So it really isn't that much Just of a like problem in real life. with me. But <laughs> that's true. But uh, but it is one of those things where I I just think the design and the look and the CG work like because let let's we also kind of scooted over that is that that's a big aspect of this character it's not a suit it's like it's a CG creation um, which we have seen worked in the past and not to say I I wouldn't say any of my quibbles with the last Godzilla was it being oh, no, a no, CG no, creation no, no. but I have to say it's it's pretty much pitch perfect it, yeah. just the look the how it's brought to life and. It's one of those things where they didn't fuck with it too much, and they didn't feel like that they needed to, and it and it ultimately proved more no. rewarding. And yeah. and then they also were smart enough to make it give it just the right amount of movements and limitations, so it didn't feel too foreign, it didn't feel too alien, it, it felt like a creature. Right. It didn't feel like too out of place within the world. Right. Yeah. And then giving him just like the, the only thing is like i may say like they may not have perfected what he would look like up close to his face so like just kind of like and i think that may be something that they own they may have altered a little bit in the second one because 
the humanity and the of yeah. the personality of him had to come through a little bit more in the sequel than it yeah. does in this yeah. one. Um, and the honestly, the, you don't get that many of those moments with, right. within this movie. The only thing <laughs> that I would say is kind of like a hin- a hindrance, and it's more of a nitpick. And frankly, they fix this in the next one is the dorsal fins. I, I just I prefer the more maple leafy, like kind of like jagged dorsal yeah. fins. Like this one, they're just kind of like in a row segmented and, and everything. And, and it's a good look. I, I, I like it. Um, so th- this Godzilla has always been a, a, a thumbs up for me. I think it, yeah. it looks great when it roars. I think uh, it's up there. I think it's up there. It's got, it's got gills. If you look closely, yes. it's got gills on its neck so it can, uh, it can breathe. The deets. Um, so, so that's all. And really, I mean, fun. the camera does add 10 pounds. So. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but, uh, the, the real big thing that we need to talk about is the Mutos, the enemies of this film, the first, is that true? Yes, the first American Godzilla kaiju villain in a Godzilla movie. I think they function very well for the movie. I don't think they're the most exciting creatures we've ever come across. Mm-hmm. Um, it was like, I mean, it, we're watching the movie. I think it's very much like, yeah, they are basically, they're kind of annoying little shits, which I kind of think is very interesting in the in the way that they are presented mm-hmm. within the movie. And I think that, again, their animalistic nature works for the story they're telling, and I think they function well for 2014 Godzilla. I do have a thought that, like, I would be interested to see if, like, if, like, Toho made, like, another series of movies, if, like, there was, like, a Toho version of of the the Mutos. Yeah, I think that would be really funny. But I think they work. Uh, I I have to be honest. I'm a big fan. I'm 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 on Team Muto. I I, 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 what I do like though, I, I will say. I think the thing that really kind of helps them is that there's two of them. Yes, I was going to say the same exact thing. That, I think if it was just like maybe just the female one, like yeah. the way in it looks, I'd be like, ah, that's kind of lame. But the fact that they kind of do the whole male-female thing. There's like a relationship. There. There's a relationship, and, and, and they, they, have, they can do different things based off being and, male and, and they female. Have, like, they actually have moments. Like, yeah, like they, they again, they take that nature thing that they have different abilities based on their, their gender, their sex. And um, also, they had, do have like moments like there is like kind of a cute little moment when they reunite and they like yeah have, have, you know affection have I, have affections to each other. I dig the design. I am sympathetic to the criticism that a lot of go-to monsters are just giant spiders, like and and are giant like Cloverfield monsters with like the big arms and yeah. like you know they kind of but it is are like, creepy crawlies. At the very least, it's not like just a giant animal that they do kind of have a little bit. No, more, no, I your, think more they, unique design. I think they do their good work, and I actually think this is one of those cases where I see the Mutos and I'm like, good. Now this is the last time you can do a creature like this. Yeah, it's kind of how you I can't feel like about it. Can't like keep doing that. Yeah, but, it, like, but again, this design works. Um and uh, yeah, so uh, so and I even, dig. And I will say that even though they are much of a smaller stature than Godzilla that mm-hmm. they do present especially cause you have that two on one angle yeah. that makes like that fight at the end very interesting so I do have one fun fact before we move on about the Mutos yeah. is that the Mutos were present uh, in earlier footage of the uh, of Godzilla but not in the way that we know them this far I know this because in Comic Con I want to say 2013. Mm-hmm. I remember that because that was the year that they showed the first Guardians trailer. Um, yes, because that was also that D23 that year. Yeah. Right. Um, and I remember being at that Comic-Con because I was so mad I never got to see that original Godzilla sizzle reel or tone reel. 
And they showed it again, and I was like, oh, that's awesome. It's like, oh, by the way, we have more for you. And what they showed was the airport scene uh, in the film. And the and the creature that is that Godzilla comes up against because it, for that scene it's the Muto is attacking like the airport and there's like a yeah. destruction and then Godzilla shows up. That I can one hundred percent like confirm was not the creature that was in the final film, and that it was like a giant kind of like spindly spider thing um but that, that's a fun fact that and many people have said like listen that footage it was a completely different creature i can 100 percent confirm that it that it indeed was um so with all that said we kind of have gone through all like our classic mainstays of everything that we go to, to go through with these uh with these godzilla films um the hype machine is underway there was a lot of hype leading up and to then, this and, movie i think and then you also like put together like you know i think it was also like that human cast i think i mean like that. the human cast but come on like they got they put cranston in there well, and then it, this was breaking bad days man how this did was, he get activated yeah, <laughs> this was like wrong movie yeah. <laughs> but that's for some reason even though I know that's a totally shit, total recall movie. That's always like the trailer Brian Cranston moment. I remember, but yeah, but this was like peak. Like Brian Cranston was like the actor. Yeah, you had like you know Ken Watanabe was like you know in those Batman movies. Yeah, and, but and he was kind of like oh the respectable Japanese actor yeah. that they're bringing in. To and the like you had like rising stars like Aaron Taylor Johnson and Elizabeth yeah. Olsen and. Who, and it also kind of lucked out because it's like, oh, in the following year, they're going to be in an Avengers movie uh, yeah, and together. Like, and their husband and wife in this movie, their brother and sister in the next one. That's kind of... <laughs> <laughs> um, but, uh, but, I mean, it was all crazy. I mean, people were kind of... at Some some people were even calling this as like, it's it's going to be Heisenberg versus Godzilla. <laughs> like, like people would, Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, but, um, but, yeah, no, I mean... As we get into actually talking about the movie, the the hype was definitely real. I think it it the, there was those, buzz. There the, was buzz. The buzz. The trailers. I think were bringing it. Were bringing up the anticipation, and that it ultimately led us uh, to this film. Nick, I remember. I remember that. Um, I remember the time seeing this. It was. Uh, I I did see it in IMAX. I ended up seeing actually. it in IMAX too. Again, it was supposed to be you were there, but you weren't. And um and then we ultimately ended up seeing the film, and the rest is history, aka this podcast. So Nick, I think it's time. Yes, the, the 2014 Godzilla and Man with the Golden Gun are the films you have to thank. Yeah. For making this podcast a reality. So Nick, I think I'm ready to finally talk about why everybody else is wrong about Godzilla 2014. <laughs> Let them fight, man. <laughs> this alpha predator of yours, Doctor, do you really think he has a chance? The arrogance of man is thinking nature is in our control. And not the other way around. Let them fight. We've been waiting to talk about this movie for quite yeah, some time. We have. Uh, th- this was 
Man, I, I mean, where 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 to begin with it? I mean, let's not bury the lead. Both big fans of, of very the film. very good movie, Un, unapologetic, unapologetic, yeah. easy top ten, and, and, and we knew possibly top five. And we should say, and I know, like, and there may be, I don't know who, which one of our fans are going to be surprised by if if we feel that way because I don't want to make it seem that way. It's not like this film doesn't have any fans. It's not like no, it's. This, it, I think we'll really save that for the aftermath that we've discussed the whole thing. But like this movie, I've always felt that this movie's reception has been kind of all over the place in terms of like how I thought it was perceived and how people seem to receive it. Um, but I, I have seen this again. I've seen this movie multiple times. Yeah. This is a movie that I put on casually to watch mm-hmm. and it still holds up. I really liked it a lot in that in that first IMAX show. Well, we should say that we knew how much we liked it, like right away, like right away. Yeah, we were both into it, and then like it's only gotten more it, well like received in my heart from from there. And I think that there are definitely different aspects of the movie I will defend, and and movies and, and parts of the movie that deserve the praise. But I think like. I think it's it's like almost like it's the way you would want a modern adaptation of Godzilla to go. Um, if you were going to take that kind of, you know, ground, more grounded nuclear based yeah. route and and kind of add that old natured aspect to it, I can't imagine like a a a, a different way you could do this. I mm. feel like this is the movie that they wanted to make, obviously, but this is the movie that I felt like. It just felt like natural when mm-hmm. you're watching this. It felt like, of course, this is the movie they made, and it's great, and it's yeah. awesome, and and nothing will. I mean, nothing. I know nothing will ever beat to me just the incredible, incredible sense of scale this movie has. Yes, this movie just you feel the largeness of what's happening, not just in terms of the context of the world, but in terms of just the scale of the shots and and the scale of the fight that they're telling but in a way that no other i don't think any other blockbuster has achieved no. i i don't think i no. mean i mean i i was i was kind of feeling maybe like that way in terms of like the scale of maybe like the big end game fight at the end of well, that but, 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 I, but I think, like, other than that like nothing else has come close to just on a pure structure of scale and you feeling like yeah. the weight and size of everything that's going on and, and it what really it, what has, more important thing yeah. than in a kaiju film but i also think it's because godzilla is so big and i mean that literally in that Gareth really presents Godzilla as this massive creature, even more so than really any other Godzilla film that mm-hmm. we've ever seen. And the way this is like where like the effect of like the CGness of the character and that ability to kind of have more freedom with how you shoot that yeah. uh, really comes into play. And I feel like it really presents Godzilla as this icon. It really shows you why this is a series of films that has lasted for so long and why this Godzilla character is important and is something to re- constantly revisit. Yeah. And I feel like that that is made apparent clearly within this movie. And I think that's where that enjoyment comes in is I really do think that this is a movie where you, you can understand what Godzilla is, mm. what the films are and the general feeling that those films are supposed to evoke. Yeah. In 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 a lot of ways. I I mean, Gareth's directing on this film, I think is maybe one of the most underrated additions to blockbuster filmmaking in the in the most recent memory, I think. I I truly do believe that only because when you think about it like 
you know, these are primarily ultimately CG creations and he brings nothing, him and his visual effects team bring nothing but finesse and scale and weight to every single frame that they're in and just how everything is framed is so, it, it is almost per- perfection. Yeah. I mean, uh, you know, interestingly enough, like there's been kind of some, like this weird controversy about the the home video release of it, like, for some reason, like the, these legendary movies, fuck up their visuals sometimes. I, I don't know why or how, but like apparently there's kind of like a like a washed out quality to the the, the home releases, which I never knew about. But then I like looked into it. And I'm like, oh, I guess it is kind of true. So some of the night stuff kind of like can be a little wishy washy depending on the TV that you're watching it on. But ultimately, like all the work that that he does on it. But in terms of the entire movie itself. I've always said this from day one and that it was not necessarily this was not the Godzilla film that I wanted. And I don't mean that in a dismissive way. It was just like the one that I went in and as a Godzilla fan and the one that I think I wanted to get, this was not this film. I love the film that was given to me though, that I think that it was such like a different change of pace, especially like when you look at like the entirety of the franchise. And it's one of those things where I'm glad that the monster verse goes where it goes after this. I'm glad that this film did this thing and that we went, we went back into some of the other roots of Godzilla. Um, But it's, I think that the directing aside, um, I think it's a deceptively, a uh, deceptively rich thematic film. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, as well. Um, I think that after rewatching it a couple times, I, I don't necessarily how you can. I I will take no. I, I will say this with a caveat. I don't think that the criticism of it being light or hollow on human drama stands. I I will maybe concede the point in some of the details of how much it may work for for you given like you know certain like um performances yeah. and and whatnot so i i would i would have that caveat but i think that I, when i was rewatching it like there's some there there's some good decent naturalistic human drama in this movie that the film frankly spends a lot of time yes. on and, and I, it's I also, it's one of those things sorry r- real quick it's one of those things as I, and i kind of said this as about king of the monsters which i still love but this movie has so many just like these quiet moments with 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 humans and takes the time to like gareth really wanted to make it this man versus nature tale and he definitely spends time on the man and spends his visual artistry representing the nature in a way uh that is very effective and I would say that the human drama and the way they present the human characters only adds to that sense of scale because I think there is a lot to say about how this movie really does show a lot from the literal perspective of those human characters, which only serves to make Godzilla even bigger in scope than he already is. Right, yeah. And I think I've been, since day one, I have been a defender of the human stuff within this movie. Yes, I, I agree. I, I am I am a distinct fan of it. And especially having watched all these other Godzilla movies, mm-hmm. I definitely think it stands out in, in, in some ways in terms of, you know, some based on, you know, a history of human plots yeah. within these characters. I, but, it, but I do think that it shares things that I like with, with, I think that sense of scale is stuff that I end up when I look back, like what I like about stuff like the original Ghidorah and the original Gojira 
and even like the Mecha Godzilla movies is that you get this big sense of the world, a big sense of scale right. within how those characters are presented. And I think that that's something that this movie does very well uh, is really present those human characters in contrast to the Godzilla and uses their perspective to really enhance yeah. what the themes and what the what Godzilla represents in this movie. Well, I, the biggest thing about this movie, and, and I want to say, like, with all of those praises, like, I have been somebody who, like, I really want to dissect these movies and I really want to, like, get into the into the weeds on them. So, and, and there are things I, I will say, like, as I, as I love, I absolutely love this movie. And I do think that there are some things that I would... Um, kind of point out as some things that don't work, but I'm kind of finding that I'm I'm one of those people where I, I a movie I'm of the opinion that a movie can still work with pitfalls. Yeah, is is oh, how I would put it. Absolutely. And and I and I do think that after rewatching it last night and spending so much time with it, I absolutely love this movie. And I will over like as we talk about it, point out what I think some of the pitfalls are because I think I think the biggest pitfall maybe with the movie that people kind of target with the human about the human drama and, and stuff like that. Uh, I I do think that it's more of a plotting thing and not necessarily that the movie is plotted poorly, but that the movie the movie takes a turn at a certain point. Yeah. That I still like the movie as it goes through, but it does I, I believe that just from a completely storytelling narrative perspective, that there is a distinct purpose to the movie until a certain point and then the movie just kind of goes mm-hmm. after that and I like where it goes and I like all the filmmaking that's done along the road yeah. but there is a purpose there there is a purposefulness to the beginning and the first half of the movie that I don't think quite follows throughout and I think that's uh-huh. maybe where some of like the the criticisms could come from but I mean we'll, we'll get into yeah. in, into that but um ultimately like just kind of like starting st- just like starting from you know we're not going to go through the entire movie but like one of the things is that Gareth Edwards really does make a film here about man versus nature and i know that's kind of eye rolling to think about but um again i i just think when i was watching it last night i was just thinking all like the great little directorial choices of it obviously it opens up with like the big like kind of conspiracy like oh like Here's Monarch, and here's yeah. all of like the, the little redacted things about what those uh, uh, nuclear testings actually well, were well, about. Also telling this thing of like the, you know, these nuclear tests in the fifties and these these right. tests that you know ultimately we find out were to you know not test they were to destroy Godzilla. Also, how how awesome is it that the that after all that and then like you know the nuclear bomb goes off and then the title card is like the white screen with Godzilla with the with the title come up Godzilla and like the nuclear fallout like ash coming from the sky like it's just like yeah. come on man like it's just like I didn't even think like this was gonna start as artfully as that like yeah. I, I just thought just on a pure just kind of like aesthetic level I I just absolutely loved it but then the movie shows you its cards of like how it's playing where the first thing it shows you is like it basically is relating all of these monsters monsters to all these natural disasters like so the film opens up on a um on a like a a landslide mining accident like you know the entire mine has been crumbled and the movie follows suit with all that by relating like Godzilla coming out of the ocean to like big uh like uh tsunamis and um 
and um and things like that and the fact that like when the mutos and godzilla you know they're fighting in the city the city that it's like a giant storm is happening and so there's all these little things where they're just relating it to these big natural disasters and the plight that these natural disasters can cause like if you have an earthquake uh at a nuclear power plant which is not a good thing to have um so it, it's just going to show that like gareth edwards is playing for keeps on that man versus nature uh element of the of mm-hmm. the story because ultimately the story is kind of like a conspiracy mystery tale for a little it, bit it's kind of yeah it's kind of a conspiracy mystery tale that turns into man trying to return home to his family yeah yeah it, it, it basically becomes that and then it becomes the disaster movie yeah. it's kind of like how this movie is segmented up yeah. because it opens up on a flashback of brian cranston and his family they live in japan because he works at a nuclear power plant and a earthquake happens uh of mysterious means it's one of these like well this earthquake isn't happening anywhere else and how come nobody else has reports about it and uh, it ultimately destroys the nuclear power plant which um, unfortunately, uh, leads to the death of uh, his wife, mm-hmm. Brian um, Cranston's wife. Brian Cranston's wife. Um, which, uh, fun fact, is a scene that made uh, Quentin Tarantino cry. Is that he has? Well, said, I mean, it's it's an awesome scene. Yeah. Like, they, there's no getting right. Like, this is how you open a movie. Like, this is how you open a Godzilla movie. And I think it really sets the tone going forward. Mm-hmm. I think like it has kind of that tragedy and that drama to it but there's also immediately like an epic nature to yeah. what's happening also let's give a shout out to alexandra Desplat's score like yes. you know yeah i always had that little chip on my shoulder that there's no use of the godzilla theme at all in yeah. the film and luckily bear corrected that in the in the next film but i mean this is an awesome score yeah, like it's regardless a great, it's a very good and score. that in that bit where he's like brian cranston's like running down like the thing yeah. and the drums are like boom boom no, he's just like, oh, I love it. It's, yeah. it's, it's, but it's awesome. It, it's just like a really, the whole nuclear meltdown sequence is, yeah. is super good um, and really kind of establishes you like, and I mean like, you know, we'll talk about Cranston, but I think it is also, I mean, Cranston's a great actor. and I He's think good. He, no, Cranston is perfect. Cranston's he, awesome. He's, he's what he needs to be, but like in that in that scene, he immediately grabs you mm-hmm. at, in terms of like his, his wife because it's a whole thing is like she's stuck behind the door. Yeah. And opening the, opening the door would basically doom everybody right yeah 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 because so, there, there's um a there's like a leak in the reactor and they have to like basically like, seal oh, like, it and, off and like other explosions are happening within that right right and then like she's running up and trying to get out but like they they just they can't do it and she she perishes yeah um and and also kind of talking about the beginning of the movie because the beginning of the movie is it's kind of defined and defined in like three parts because the first is that cold open not the cold open but the credit sequence mm-hmm. which is for the most part the only kind of focus on Godzilla until much later in the movie like so it is interesting that the movie is ultimately bookended at, at least at the top with that here's Godzilla so like it, it's interesting that the film still presents it as like Godzilla is still somewhat like the focal point and the catalyst for like a lot of like what the I what the broader idea for this movie mm-hmm. is and then then the second scene is like all right our uh, favorite uh Sarazawa um and is uh and is um partner played by uh Sally Hawkins from the Monarch uh uh not not Organiz- yeah organization um as they come across this big um 
you know, landslide that happened that destroyed this mine, which they give hints that, oh, there was a monster involved and that they also have a few lines that show a history. So that's the third part of it. And then the, or the second part of it. And the third part of it is the, this more human centric disaster. So they're kind of like giving you like, all right, here's your little Godzilla thing. Here's your like mystery aspect of it. And now here's all like your character stuff. And in a way, not only your character stuff, but it almost shows this is how we're going to treat each aspect of this film. Like we're going to treat Godzilla with this mystery. We're going to treat the, um, Sarazawa stuff with, um, this uh you know oh like you know this vagueness we're trying to figure out what's going on and then we're going to treat the human stuff as like oh they're it's all out of their hands and they're all victims to yeah. all these and greater very, things and that very are going to happen family based too yeah that's a very true big aspect of the the entire scope of the human plot yeah well i want to talk about that because that was the biggest thing i found while watching this movie is because then ultimately it flashes forward to a grown ford Right, because uh, because you know the kids in school, yeah. Ford's in school at the time, and there's like, Ford is the name of the character. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I always call us Colin Taylor. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but Ford, you know he's he's um he's joined the military. Yeah, mm-hmm. he's he's just about to come home from service, and he's married to Elizabeth Olsen, has a daughter all their own. Kid, uh, son. They, son. They have a son. Yeah. I'm thinking of a different movie. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but I it, just but... watch this. See, this is where the Disney Plus thing is is messing with my head. I was messing with my head. He has a son. Yeah. But I thought all that stuff, rewatching it last night, I thought all that stuff was great. It's great. It is. I I thought it would be, you know why? Because there really wasn't any other purpose to it other than you spent time with this family, which is like in a weird way, like it's kind of funny that not a lot of people kind of respect it as much because – you're not really learning too much else other than this guy loves his family. And it's not in a cheesy, melodramatic way. It just kind of felt like you were... I mean, I'm rolling my own eyes to hear me say this, but I don't know what other way to say this. It's almost like you just kind of stepped out of your Godzilla movie and just watched like a like an in indie movie about a guy coming home to his family. Like it it just... And it it feels that way and all of it works. And 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 I actually think in a weird way, it's when... Aaron Taylor Johnson's at his best in this movie mm-hmm. when he's like playing off of Olsen and the kid and he feels like a younger dad and but yeah. it like works and I, I just I just felt all all that stuff like really like tied me in and then perfectly executed with like you know she, they get the call that Brian Cranston's in Japan and got arrested so and they kind of elegantly deliver that information while showing that there's a history and Again, they never go too much with it, and I, I think they yeah. play just the right notes yeah. with these scenes. It is a son. Yeah. <laughs> well, I, I I know it's a son. You don't need to correct me on no, it. No, I'm correcting myself. I'm yeah. just I'm just no, but 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 I think that's also because again, it's that drama where it's like, and it's a drama that drives the entire movie is that, you know, he's just come home from his military service, and he's just like, you know, he's gonna have the night with his wife, and he's gonna you know hang out with his kid, and mm-hmm. they're already playing with each other, and then he has to get the call that well, you have to go right back out, and you know get to Japan because your dad's in trouble, and yeah, you, yeah, you present the history, and then but then that drives the drama when like he's you know the length he goes to get back to his family is only is enhanced by the fact that they only got that small moment at the beginning, right? They, they yeah. only got that small moment together to to really like show, but it, I mean I think it showcases that relationship very well Mm -hmm. it really does like a a a young couple with a new kid like a a newer kid Mm -hmm. not not a baby but a newer kid um 
you know, in a kind of the drama of that separation, mm-hmm. and, and and something that can happen in a, in a in a natural disaster scenario. They just could have bogged it down with so many things, like oh, like you know, like he's been, coming home from war. Can he can he get back into you know what I mean? Or, like, or it's like oh, well, he's been a long way so long. Or do they really still connect? Yeah, and like, yeah, and, it, and it's it, like no, it's just it's just a nice relationship, and then the the journey of Aaron Taylor Johnson is that his whole thing is that he's getting back. Uh, to his family, and then at some point has to make decisions that will ultimately protect not just them, but the you know entire rest of the world. Um, but he goes off to uh, Japan, where Brian Cranston is still living, and and is yeah. basically seen as this crazy person because yeah. he's convinced that there is something more to the earthquake that you know killed his wife. Can I say also he picks up Brian Cranston, who has been arrested because he was trespassing onto the grounds of like the uh, of the nuclear disaster. Yeah, that he shouldn't have been there, and uh, we are witness to the j- movie's only joke. <laughs> Of the, the only uh, intentional yeah, joke. the only intentional joke of the the emo Japanese kid getting scolded out by his by his parents, and it. I I will say I, I always am going to be one like. You can have more jokes in your movie, like you can have more levity, and it's just kind of funny, like how little levity yeah. that this movie. Has. Well, I feel like people like, forget, like people always go back to stuff like The Dark Knight, but The Dark Knight is a funny movie. No, there's Dark- a lot of funny stuff a, in that no, movie. There's a lot of funny yeah. jokes, and I feel like people forget that, like you know, you can have serious things, but you know, Bond always has, like even Craig yeah. has his quips. Yeah, no, it's just it's just kind of weird that I can point that out as the one joke in yeah. the movie. There like, is another one that we've kind of hinted at, but we gotta talk about it some. Um, but anyway, so yeah, he it, it basically once again is this elegant storytelling. I feel about you know he Cranston's kind of seen as this crazy person who hasn't seen Ford or his family in a right. long and time. He doesn't even remember, like he doesn't realize that like you know the kid has been. You know, yeah, the kid he he thinks like the kid is like two or three, and the kid's like five, and it's yeah. like there there there's little things and, like that, and, and they don't they don't belabor that no, point and, too and, much. But the, and, and I think I think like again, I, you said like he's great, like Aaron Taylor Johnson's great with the family. I think he's great at this initial scene where he's just beleaguered by yeah, like his father and, and what he's become. The and, relation, and then, like, the relationship that they have, the relationships that they portray in this movie are so good to to me that they they're so naturalistically done. You can everybody's being smart when it comes about the relationships. Like nobody's being unreasonable yeah. when it's like, you're, dad, you're crazy. And like, go screw you. And you're like, you know, a lesser movie would be like, she's gone. Dad, <laughs> like, yeah. you know, just go no, over the like, top with Aaron it. Taylor Johnson plays it with like a delicateness. Yeah. And he knows that his dad has gone through a lot. And he knows he cares for his dad, but there's just a frustration, like an underlying frustration. And you're, you're very right in using the word. They don't beat it over the head. Right. That, that, that does feel very much like, they don't need to, you and you don't need to beat these types of things. Over no, yeah. I think there's an instinct to go big, and like the rest of the movie's gonna be big. Let the human drama kind of sink in yeah. a little bit. And and then speaking of this and I scene, think, and they they really like Aaron Taylor Johnson and Brian Cranston play that father son relationship beautifully. They yeah. they really do feel like they have that that lengthy relationship. Yeah, because they could have played it like really dramatically of like. He's just turned his back on his dad right now, yeah. but now it's just like, but no, this is a guy. He like he he gives him he offers him an olive branch. Like he's like, listen, just just come home, like come home. And I I thought that was a very mature aspect of how they wrote the characters in the movie is that they they begin 
Aaron Taylor Johnson's character by being like, oh my God, my dad's at this again. And why can't he get over this? But then ultimately, like he still is the one. He's like, listen, just come home. We'll figure this all out. And, and I just liked all that stuff. And then thinking about, also talking about this scene, how awesome is that moment when Brian Cranston is like, his face is like in the window. And because he's like talking about like, oh, like, you know, the, I, I know I'm on to something. And then he goes through all of this like jargon about everything he's figuring out. And then there's just like, he's at the sink and there's like the illuminated reflection of him in the window. And he's like, it's like your mom's out there somewhere. And it's just like, breaks my heart every time. It's just like, Oh, and it's just, again, these like quiet little moments that Edwards is like very, just like I, I, in some ways I would say even masterfully hand, handling in, in, in this film. Um, and oh, yeah. I think, and I think that, I think that what, what, what were you going to say? Well, I was going to move on to the next thing. Oh no, no, no. But th- so this was going to be the bigger point that I was making is that, what I found interesting when watching it this time is that everything in this movie about Cranston always came back to his wife and that a lot of his motivation was based off this very, and not in a melodramatic way, but this very human uh, reaction to grief and this incomplete nature that he felt with the the loss of his wife that this isn't a character like, it, it's not like going into the next movie where they're like, I have a plan to like use this monster business to to fix the world, and yeah. and ultimately, I felt like that worked because it was still an extension of like a bigger issue that Vera Farmiga's character was having. But in this one, it's not like Brian Cranston's like the world has to know what happened here. Like he just he, needs personal satisfaction. There's, there's multiple moments in the story where he presents it in a way where he's like you can't hide the truth and then he breaks down and then it's all about like he's like my wife died here like early like later on in the movie he's just like i have a he's like i have a right to know what happened and you're covering something up you lied and then he just oh, that breaks whole down speech is amazing yeah and he's just like, like my he, wife what? died here like that 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 scene it, like he's being interrogated and yeah like he's like asking like oh like i'm not gonna talk to you anymore yeah and he's like going like but he's like in it but again there's that emotion there but like Kranz, but also I think what's nice about the relationship going back is that we do have this other sequence then where Cranston basically does go into like oh it's like the echolocation right and all this sort of stuff and then eventually like he sets off to go oh to- this movie is the master of being like something's afoot or just like hyping something up which yeah. I know sounds so kind of backhanded but I'm a sucker for like characters talking about like something was in there talking. <laughs> Like, and it's just like, I love all that. But, but but the thing I was going to say about the Cranston thing and the wife thing is that the w- how I like, because anybody can say a movie's about like nature versus humanity or, or man versus nature. But what I felt in this movie is that what he, what Edwards was able to do is that he ultimately told a story about man, not man necessarily versus nature, but man's place in nature. And it was kind of this whole like how, all of our, not only humans, but all of our ways of dealing with our emotions and grief are just at the whims of these things that are much larger than us that we don't have any say or or control in. And the way I think that they focused the story is that they made it completely entirely all about family and just these, the, what the, the things that make humanity unique. And I think that the, what the movie sides on is that it makes that notion of family the unique thing about uh about humanity um you know and they they kind of do it a little bit with the with the mudos too but there's a little bit of 
like every every motivating factor when it comes down to it is about either reconnecting with family or getting back to family um you know burying like what do you call it like um I'm losing I'm, I'm missing the word it's like a coming to terms with maybe loss of family right. and things like Reconciling that. Reconciling with you. Yeah, right, re- reconciliation. Um so it was just interesting to me that that all the human stuff kind of like revolved around that for the most part. And I and I just felt that you know, even like as we go into like some of his last words to Aaron Taylor Johnson's character are like do whatever it takes to get back to your family and then uh Aaron Taylor Johnson takes on that role of there's many times in the movies where he's like, listen, like uh, I'm I, I I was in the army and you're gonna need me, and then it ultimately just comes down to it's like, listen, my family is is in the city and I need to get back yeah, there. Yeah. So I, I just thought that was kind of like uh that was kind of an interesting par yeah. like uh aspect of the film. Yeah, uh, it it is interesting, kind of like a parallel that I noticed between both this and King of the Monsters is that there's this. There's this unique thing about how different generations deal with loss in these circumstances of like these bigger things yeah. that they have no control over is like in both instances, they kind of show like the older generation being like these broken truth seekers that within the or, course or, of the movie are often right. Or at the very least, there's they're unsatisfied in the answers and want more. Yeah. You know, there's this there's this like this need to 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 have some closure. Like, yes. This absolutely need to have some sort of closure, some sort of understanding of what it all meant. Yeah, right. There there definitely there is a lack of satisfaction with like the the fact that they've lost something to something that they can't control is not not outwardly but subconsciously unconceivable to them that they need to go through these great measures yeah. to um and then often like kind of break everything around them to reconcile with that where in both cases the younger generation is kind of seen as like these more well adjusted uh tor- like you know bearing the torch going forward and um I-, I just thought that was like an interesting parallel because in many ways like Cranston and like Farmiga is like the the supervillain version of yeah, of Cranston, Cranston yeah. but ultimately the motivations are very similar yes um and and Aaron Taylor Johnson and Millie Bobby Brown are both more well adjusted to the situation, but ultimately become the people who carry on whatever legacy that they need to. In, in the case of the of, in this movie, it's about like the whole family thing that yeah. I that I mentioned at the top. Um, but yeah, but there's that awesome moment where the, you know they the uh, the cocoon is getting out of hand. And then he's it's like pulsing. Yeah, it's pulsing like and it's oh, it's gonna blow. It's gonna be an electromagnetic pulse. And they like well, that, even uh, sorry, that's like another part of Cranston's awesome like little interrogation speech. Is like it's an electromagnetic pulse. <laughs> yeah, it's like see, it happened again. Like the okay, lights go, all right. the lights go out. You know what? I'll get out this little criticism I did have. I found it a little bit hard to believe that Cranston was the key that 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 this was the only piece of information that they didn't know like they didn't they didn't figure it out like that was like i found that yeah, a little hard guess, to believe yeah. but they had to shut it down yeah. shut it down that that was and that kind of gets to a bigger storytelling issue i have with the movie but that moment when he's like they're like all right well we have to do something and they're like and he's like kill it and then it's just like clearly he doesn't want to yeah. do it he yeah. doesn't want to do it, and then it's like knowing where that character goes. Well, it's so but yeah, much. But, it's ugh, also like, it. And, 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 but even in, within just the context of the movie, it, or it introduces like he's so interested in the study. He's mm-hmm. so interested in in knowing what these creatures are. But you know, right? But you know, like he has to make that decision to say, you know, 
Um, so they don't kill the Muto. Uh, you know who they do kill, though? Mr. Cranston. <laughs> bye bye I mean, um, <laughs> here's the thing. I like the movie regardless, but when I talk to people, and I also think it may be a little bit unfair to like hang that up on being the criticism of the movie. Yeah. There's really no reason to kill this character, and I ultimately think that it may have been a narrative mistake to do that. I um, don't know. And even I feel, I, I'm, I'm actually really on the same boat as you, where I like the movie as is, and I do like where the movie goes, but I do imagine the alternate version of this movie where Cranston's involved in that, like, right. super... Like, it, it's more like... And then you have this buddy thing with, with Ford and... Cranston as they go along and like trying to get back to you know Ford's family and then that kind of more direct you know realization of what's happening around them and and like really finishing off that grief Mm -hmm. storyline um but I do there is like an alternate version of this movie where I think like you could have had Cranston survive or at least maybe dies at the end of the movie I mean he also kind of dies in a lame way too it's just weird because Listen, I'm I'm always respectful of like the choices that you want to make in a movie, but I got to talk about how effective those choices are. And I and I can't even say like like why? Like why does he die? Like it's like in the closest thing is it like getting back to that like broader like oh the the out of control nihilism of these events. But it's like but it's it's really not and and the problem is is because up until that point he's the best actor in the movie. Mm-hmm. I think the movie honestly gets you on board with him emotionally more so than any other character. Uh, as much as I like the Aaron Taylor Johnson stuff, I really do. But I think like he just – it's kind of like the one thing where you got an actor that's just way too good. Yeah. And it gets you so on board with him. And Cranston's actually pointed this out, and he, and he actually likes the movie. Uh, and he says, like, oh, I look back on it, I had a fun time on it, and I was glad to be a part of it. But he said from day one when he read the scripts, he's like, ooh, this is a mistake. Because <laughs> he said it was always that way. It was just, like, by, like, page 50, he was dead. And then he thought, like, well, that's kind of weird that, like, this you, we spent this much time, like, emotionally hanging on to this character, and now and now he's gone. And, and I just, to this day... Wonder what it could have been like. It's not even wonder what it could... I just don't understand the logic of killing that character i don't understand i still can't really wrap my head around how that affects the plot in a really any sort of effective way and it is a moment where i think the movie takes that narrative turn a little too harshly in a a certain point of view where it's a very much a purposeful tale of family and you know these guys dealing with the loss of like something that was out of their control and then it kind of becomes a disaster get back home movie. Mm-hmm. And again, I'm fine with that, but I have to, I, I will concede the point that I do think that is yeah. a valid criticism this of the film. Why, this is why we're podcast partners because we had very similar thoughts on this. Yeah. But- and, and also, the other thing is like Aaron Taylor Johnson's no charisma machine. And it, 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 it's one of those things yeah, where I, I think, think it's like the choices. I don't mind the performance, yeah. but like. I don't think it's a bad performance. It's just so. But like, I, here's the. I mean, yeah. I don't think it's a bad performance, and I actually would defend a little bit more of that kind of the nature, how he plays it. But the character is at its strongest when he's playing off other characters. Yes. Like when he's playing off his wife or when he's playing off Brian Cranston. And the problem is that you get to this, you make a movie where you kill off Brian Cranston enough where he now doesn't have that to bounce off of. 
And then the whole point of the movie is he's getting back to his wife, so he doesn't really get these conversations. He has like one or two phone conversations with right. her throughout the movie. Mm-hmm. So then you do have this guy who's bouncing around, and the most he gets is like, you know, he does kind of, you know, he's either giving information and helping out Dr. Serizawa, or he's with like these military guys, and he doesn't really get a chance to bounce off those people as much as he does Cranston or Olsen, or at least like in terms of a very well-regarded it, way. It's also a moment in the movie where I do have to acknowledge that it it, it is lack it is severely lacking in lot of, in characters with a lot of personality, I would say in a way, because uh-huh. I just think a character, and again, I know that this is kind of like a, a sticking point for a lot of people, but the Brad Woodford character in the in the next movie, yeah, I just think a character somewhat like that would have gone a long way in yeah. this movie yeah. because, again, it's not you can get rid of Brian Cranston, you're fine, and I love Sarah Zawa, but like the military guys that they throw in, it's like I mean, you know, they're just, they're just yeah. generic military guys, like um, and they're not supposed to be anything more; they're just to play those. To play the roles of like they're a military. Yeah, person. yeah. The the one guy. Oh man, what's the what's the what's the actor's name? Um, David Strath Strathen. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, I just want to make sure I'm getting his name right. Um, but he plays like the 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 lead of the the lead military. I mean, there there's at times when the military like he like he plays kind of like the voice of reason. He's like, I just want to try to do the right thing and like get the civilians out of harm's way. But then there's other military the, the and then there's the other military guy who's like, "Yeah, you and your science ways." And they don't go like too overboard with it, but they kind of just play the note without playing it over the top and it it is like the only moment in the movie where I'm like, "Okay, all right. Okay, that's the he's the military guy. I get it." Um and it yeah, it, it's just like I think that's where I would can, kind of concede the point that that Brian Cranston at that point was bringing kind of like this heart and personality to the proceedings that I do think kind of get removed with him and don't get replaced with it. And I don't see a reason why the movie couldn't have a character like that. And I think it would have gone a long way. Um, though he does have our favorite line, our military officer does oh, have yes. our favorite line, uh, in which uh, we'll play it right here. Muto. Massive, unidentified terrestrial organism. It is, however, no longer terrestrial. It is airborne. It's just ridiculous. It's so not intentionally funny. Yeah. But it is. Like, mm-hmm. It's no longer. It's airborne. It's just so matter of fact. I love yeah. it. Um, but uh, eventually, and we should say at this point, it's all been about like you know they're chasing the mudos now, and I think this may get into where. And we've we also have had this information, so basically, Cranston's character like dies like on his way for medical treatment. Like there, he's in a helicopter. Right. And he's basically like you know dies of his injuries from from the attack on at you know the hatching of the mudo. Yeah. And then basically like you know Sarazawa and you know, the Monarch crew are chatting with you know. Ford and about everything it's like your father had some insight like do you remember anything he said right echolocation and then there's this whole thing about you know what who are they communicating with and then like the and then you know Aaron Taylor Johnson and and, and gets and the audience gets like you know the expedition of like you know Godzilla and yeah you know what the, all the stuff in, in the 50s was and like how that character so okay here's the thing because on one hand I will always be a sucker for, again, the hyping up of things. So, like, when he's just like, well, we have to find it, like, and we have to find a way to kill it. He's like, and what if we don't? And then he's like, 
because nature has a way of <laughs> balancing itself out. I believe he is that balance. And I'm like, yeah. And it's just like the picture, which by the way, like the represent. And then when they cut to like just him on the screen, like it, it's just great. All right. Another big thing about the movie. Godzilla, to be fair, is not mentioned until 45 minutes into the movie. Yeah. Like, really. really. Like, like, he's kind of hinted at a little bit. But earlier. he's really only hinted at in the opening montage. Right. And up until then, there's no mention of Godzilla right. you, until it, 45 minutes like, in. kind of a hint that it might be Godzilla with the power plant, but then you find out it's the Muto. Right. It's like you, that's what you find out. Yeah, I think there's that. one reference to they find a carcass, and they're like, oh, is this, is this him? And then they're like, no, no, this is something This is something else. So he's not mentioned until 45 minutes in the movie and really doesn't appear until an hour within the movie. I may say that's that that may be a little excessive. <laughs> Maybe I, I like I don't know. Like it's one of those things where I can't 100 percent defend it. And only for this way. I, I, I will say for this way, because and I get it. There's like the precedent of like you know Godzilla that is sometimes what happens in Godzilla yeah. films is that he doesn't show up but i think that when you know that and you're making a movie called Godzilla that like i it's one of those things where i do feel like it's something that's somewhat mitigated in the sequel where Godzilla's presence is always felt throughout the film yeah. and the importance of him being around is felt throughout where i think maybe going 45 minutes and him not being mentioned is I would not. I would not fault anybody for calling that out. Is is how I would put it. Yeah, I can get it, but I also feel like that's a part of the movie where I almost wouldn't have it any other way. Just the way that it's built up, mm -hmm. because I do feel like the when they finally introduce Godzilla, it's mm -hmm. like the perfect moment. Yeah, it's like it, it really. I should say that, like opposite of what I'm saying, that the moment his whole introduction scene is Chef's kiss. Like yeah. it, it's just absolutely the whole perfect. Build up into the pan up. To the roar mm -hmm. is perfect. Yeah, but it, or it, even when they shoot the flares out of the gun, and then like he just like kind of comes into the side of the the frame. It's like that's all great. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, I mean it, it. definitely it it absolutely works. And then like when he's like going under the boat and everything, yeah. like it it all definitely works. It, it's just it is interesting, and, and I think my criticism would be more is like I get what you're doing, but I may I probably would have mitigated the cutting away when an action scene is going to start. I think they may play that trick just one too many times. Yeah, I can see that. Like it, because at, at a certain point you don't need to. I think I love the one in Hawaii when they cut away. Yeah, I love that one. But like by the time you're in San Francisco, I'm like, well, all right, you can wet our beak a little, a little you, bit. <laughs> wouldn't you say that's another joke though? When the kid's like, hey, it's a dinosaur, and those Olsen's like ignoring. I him. Get, yeah, I guess that's a joke. <laughs> I, mean, I suppose because it's like you know and then they show him on fighting on tv that's you know i, I would give a little bit of credit maybe yeah there's two, yeah maybe there's two or three jokes in the movie yeah uh, um but i, I like the whole hawaii sequence too because now it's like now ford is basically like with monarch and he's basically like well like if this if these creatures are out there like i like literally like gotta get home so right I, like see my stuff so you know it's like come from japan goes to hawaii um and they're you know trying to make transfers but the mutos we also find out you know, feast off that radiation, feast mm -hmm. off that nuclear radiation. So the Mudo takes like a nuclear sub or an old nuclear sub, I believe. And yeah. It mm -hmm. brings it into like Hawaii. And, you know, with, with that, there's like energy stuff going on. And then, you know, he's on the tram with the kid. 
there's like a kid that gets lost from his family. Yeah. And so Aaron yeah. Taylor Johnson's like being a good, which kid. is which is important because like you know it's one of those things that could get overlooked. It's very thankful that his mission ultimately becomes defined by getting back to his family and these little deeds of like, you know, helping like a kid get back to his family. Yeah. Like, so, and, and I, I and, and, and I always like the detail of that too, because like he, the key, the kid, you know, he's with the kid on the, on the thing. And like, you know, it's like, Oh, like it's first off starts off like very naturally. Like, hey, right. I'm with your kid. Like, let's find your family. And then he has to protect his kid during, during the attack. Cause the Muto, you know, power goes out. The Muto is like appears and like you know destroys like parts of the track and everything like that. It's crazy. And then later, when like the kids finally reunited to the family, there's no thank you. There's no like, and he doesn't. Right. Take, he's not. He doesn't take like, hey, like you know, I, I saved your kid or whatever. He's just basically like, well, that's like pay that. up. <laughs> but that's like the whole thing about his character is this like kid. That's and then consistent to when he's with his dad and to when he's going back to his family. It's just mm-hmm. like the family is important and it doesn't matter. Anything else doesn't matter. The the glory of it doesn't matter. The protection and 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 the reuniting of family is is the most important thing. Yeah. But but the whole Hawaii and then and then not only do we have that Mudo, but we have you said like the tsunami. We have the dog running away. Mm-hmm. We have like the little bits and pieces of of kids and and parents like looking at the shoreline and seeing this thing happen. We get like even like the little like uh, before even that when when we get the little like you know water movements of of Godzilla swimming past. Yeah. And then again. Just the sense of scale in that airport sequence when you get the pan up, when you see the foot come down, the pan up, and and the roar, and it's just like that's a perfect cutaway. That's like that's that just feels like when you see that. When I saw that in the theater, you immediately felt this is amazing. Yeah, like, this is inc- like this is just so cool. Yeah, like you can't. To, I mean, you, you can't feel other ways, but to me, like I couldn't feel any other way. And like this is amazing well and i think it speaks to ultimately what godzilla's role in the movie is and i think it's a very ballsy role especially for like the big blockbuster reimagining is that to be fair godzilla is not an true he's not like the focal active participant in this film that i think he's been in other ones i think in that he's more of like this symbolic um, addition to the film, yeah. and and it's one of those things where More of a I can true force of nature than he's ever really been in terms of like you're not presenting him as a character, not presenting him as this like force of evil, but really just kind of having him come in and out as this like natural. Well, force. here's I'll be honest. Here's why I like it because ultimately I think this is the criticism is that the movie's conflict is ultimately between humanity and the Mutos, mm-hmm. and it's not like a oh, we thought it was Godzilla, but it was actually this. Like, yes, I appreciate that. Yeah. but to, that's an easy route to go. It's an easy route to go, but it's also why I understand why some they people... Didn't, uh, they didn't uh, Talia al Ghul Godzilla. Right, right. That's really what it is. But I, it's one of the things where I do... I understand if that doesn't connect with an audience who wants to see a Godzilla movie. I completely get it, because ultimately I like it because it's this battle between this about man and beast and then Godzilla is literally the god that comes in to fix everything up. Yeah. So in that way I absolutely love the movie and thematically that's oh, how I, it works I think with it me. works spectacularly. Yeah. I I think the way that Godzilla uses this this movie is absolutely unique enough and and really just like perfect in its own way. Yeah. And I I really that's like the part of the movie I really wouldn't have any yeah. other way. It's well, just it's like, just interesting because and again it's why I can Cuz it does present Godzilla on another level. Right. Because it's easy like if you do have that focus you turn it into 98 where it just becomes a monster movie. Mm-hmm. And I think the thing about Godzilla is that 
there's so many different versions of what that character is, but ultimately those best movies present Godzilla as something more than just the creature. Right, right. That they present something to it. And I think that this movie does a really great job at, and, and again, that sense of scale. It puts Godzilla on a different level and it makes Godzilla feel like the most important thing, even though he's not on screen that much. And even though he, you're right, he's not really the main focus of the plot and the, the, the drama of it and, and the, kind yeah. of the, the fight, you know, but it really, when, when Godzilla has those moments, it makes him feel like the biggest thing on screen. Yeah. Cause he is literally, but also he just, it makes him feel bigger than it, he it's is. It's hard because the movie is, de- and this is where I say it's deceptive. It's asking you to view the plot at a higher, from, from a different perception than I think a movie like this would normally ask or of its audience. Or what the audience expects. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and that's why and that's why I think I don't think it's like perfect by I think it could have done maybe a little bit more to like tighten up a few areas to kind of like mm-hmm. gauge the audience. It's like, hey, maybe look at it through this way. Mm-hmm. Maybe it didn't need to be as deceptive as it was. Yeah. Because like ultimately you get towards and then because I feel this way because it kind of all rolls the the rest of the movie rolls into itself and ultimately gets to like the final ten minutes of the movie where you reveal that they've revealed that there's a female Muto. Yeah, so we have and... a we have a scene in Las Vegas, uh, which features, of course, a Elvis song. Yeah, uh, but there's a re- revelation that the the because uh, there's again a theory of like is the Muto communicating with Godzilla, mm-hmm. and then no, it's not communicating with Godzilla. It's communicating with a you know, a female member of its species, mm-hmm. which is, I like that revelation yeah. though from, it's like Sally Hawkins, I think has the revelation. Yeah. Like, she's like uh, a female. <laughs> and, um, but so all that kind of like sp- uh, eventually gets into like the big fight in like San Francisco and that all works, which by the way, just the visual work on all this stuff is spectacular. Oh, it's so that one scene where the Muto like goes into like, you know, I think he's in like Chinatown in San Francisco or something. And then like, but then you just see the giant cloud like coming toward towards him. And again, the, the, the scale of all of this yeah. is just off the charts and it works. And then at that little moment where you have, where they, uh, where they nuzzle, each other showing that there's something else. again there's the there's it's an- very similar to remember how i said that in clear and present danger you just have these little moments in the and that's what makes it feel real it has nothing to do with how you achieve the effect whether it's practical or digital it's just these little storytelling moments that have no other purpose than to draw you into the story more yeah. and the fact that listen like and they're still the villain they're still the antagonist but it just frames it in a way where you just get engaged with what's going on and in some ways it's scary because it's like oh well then there's no stopping these creatures because oh what like what are they doing they're just mating they're just like yeah. you know uh you know j- they're just trying to lay their eggs and then so that's it's the like, whole thing that's... about the mutos is that they're you know the female's actually going to be pregnant and they're mm-hmm. laying eggs and and that basically in theory there could be like dozens of not hundreds of mutos running around mm-hmm. if, if they succeed in, yeah uh the, which basically means that they're killing off an entire like species right of, of monster I guess. but it's also like i think the in the the uh what they're trying to infer is that godzilla like if these things get killed or like or if these things get born they're just gonna wipe out everything yeah so it's like they're not as good. And again, for Godzilla the... is that balance. Yeah, Godzilla... Godzilla realizes this and and works to fight the two right. one Mutos. Um, so 
And I think there's like, other plot machinations that happen. So basically, there's there's bait you know of course the military has a plan to use the bomb and like you know everybody's like no don't use the bomb okay but. so this is what i mean by plot wise is that this is where i think the plot kind of get, got ahead of or a little bit out of control from edwards that he was so focused on the filmmaking which i'm, I'm glad he was but it's one of those things where i think one too many times it's like we need this guy oh that guy died all right we need to take the bomb in oh we lost the bomb well, we need to go in and disarm the bomb Oh, we can't disarm the bomb. And, and that's our, it, it was like that thing where, to this day, that's always been kind of a sticking point I have with just the script of in the storytelling where, again, it's kind of like, and then you you kind of realize that the movie is a little less purposeful. Or it, it, It's just in the first half, I just felt like it's very purposeful where now a, it's just kind of like. There's more focus in that first half. Where now it just things are happening to get people to where they need to be in the story yeah so that would kind of be my only like real like big criticism yeah, it works, of, of it works the story. for me like i really don't. well i like what's going on it's just like it, it, it's that would well, just it, be it plays it too many times yeah just, yeah it, okay. it's just because it's like and, and and another thing and i tweeted about this like right before um talking about this um you have a character who his whole thing is like he disarms bombs. Yeah. They bring it up several times in the movie. Yeah. So, and then I was watching the movie. I'm like, I think it's kind of crazy that they brought this up so many times and he never disarms a bomb. See, I was thinking about this. And, I saw your tweet. Yeah. I actually so, think about so, this. So wait, let me let me finish the, the point. Is that I think it's weird that they bring it, not only do they bring it up so many times and he never disarms a bomb, but it's in a Godzilla movie, which is infamously a anti-nuclear warfare movie and it's just kind of weird that you don't it just never occurred that like maybe the 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 guy who disarms bombs should like prevent the bomb from going off it just well, kind of is but, strange but go ahead yeah no but, i want to hear what you have to say i about do it. think though that whether intentionally or unintentionally that there's a constant thematic thing that's happening with the nuclear elements of this movie yes in the sense that no matter what it's basically like no matter what you do You've opened the Pandora's box, and there's no going back, and there's no facing those consequences. Because if you remember in the Vegas sequence, yeah, there's this whole the whole thing is like they're going after nuke, like oh they make nuclear radiation. Oh man, we buried all that nuclear waste over there. Mm -hmm. So yes, we tried to get rid of that nuclear waste, but it still comes back to haunt us. Right in this bomb thing. Yes, we may have factors of disarming these bombs. We may have ways to do it, but at the end of the day, these are such dangerous things that that that's not going to matter in some situations. Mm -hmm. that even if we have all these fail safes, all these things where you have to have two people turning keys, or you have this guy doing this thing to turn off the bomb, at the end of the day, these are massive weapons, mm. and these are things that we've created that we cannot take back. Mm. And I feel like that's almost like a point that they're making mm. that like. You know, and, and and even like that old the old submarine, the old mm -hmm. submarines has been derelict for for who knows how long, and that other Muto gets it. So. You, you know what? I, I think I'm on board with that. I'm on board with that. My, I don't know. The tweet made me think about this as I was like kind of reflecting. The, on the, movie. the one caveat I will say to that because I I do like that point, and I think I agree with it. But just from a storytelling point of view, <laughs> it's not like he they made him that he that he disarms bombs right, the whole and it thing wasn't like he doesn't do that it's literally like again that plot thing where he goes to do it and then he can't because they can't move the metal out of the way right, right, like because the so whole, it's the like the whole point the whole point of it is that 
they're using like an older model of right. nuclear bomb, mm-hmm. and like all these other guys have been trained to like do the new version. So Aaron Taylor Johnson's like, of course, the only guy who like knows how to disarm this version of the bomb. Right. Basically, again, the complications in San Francisco, because the whole, I guess the whole, the, the original military plan originally is like, oh, they'll they'll detonate a nuke somewhere else. And so lead them that way. But then mm. it turns into, well, they're in the city already, so let's just, you know, put this bomb in the city. And then it's like, never mind, there's all these people there. Let's mm-hmm. not let's not do that. Let's not put up a bomb in a city. And then because they can't disarm the bomb, they No, they didn't do that. They they were going to set it off, but then the Muto got it. Oh, the Muto got it, yeah. And then it was in the city and then right. it was Yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah, that was the plan, but then it's like, well, it, that's what I meant. Yeah. Sorry. It's in the city, we can't have it nuclear in the city. Like, even though I'm sure they're, like, even though it wasn't on screen, I'm sure there's one guy who's like, let's just nuke it in the city. And right, like, yeah. Are you crazy? Yeah. Um, but, like, no, but that's right. So they. Uh, because clearly when that Mudo flew past the window, it was not after work hours. No. <laughs> Who is, who's up in that building at that point? Like, at that point, the attack has been going on for, for like, for a while. Well, like, Will, Will, there's a thing called capitalism. <laughs> And, you know, those people need the money. Oh, man. It's like they think like, oh, man, I'm definitely going to get that promotion now because Jared went home and and I'm staying. I'm staying in this weirdo (laughs) attack. But, yeah, so they have to disarm the bomb because the Muto is taking it. They don't want to nuke it in the city. Yeah. Because it's never a good idea. Yeah. Yeah, and, no, it, it, and it's... Then, and then the whole thing is, like, because they can't disarm it, they have to work to get as far away from people as possible. It, it's fine. It, it's just, like, I either wish that the movie maybe made that point a little bit more eloquently as you did, or why make him a bomb guy? Yeah. It was just, at the end of the day, I just found little purpose to making him specifically that was his thing. And then, and it, and again, like, it wasn't like he purposely doesn't do it or finds a different way out of the situation. It's literally like, oh, we can't move this piece of metal off of it, so you can't do it. Like, his skills yeah. as a bomb expert never come into play mm-hmm. other than getting him to places he needs to be. Right, well, because that's also how he convinces, you know, again, we've talked about this, that, like, he uses it to convince, like, the military guys to, like, let him ride yeah. to San Francisco because... Basically, it seems like everything's converging on San Francisco, which, of course, where his family lives. Yeah. And so he basically is like, listen, I'm the bomb guy. You need me. You take me to San Francisco with you. And originally, like, no, we don't need any extra personnel here. Right. We're not going like, to endanger any extra lives. But then it's like, you know what, kid? Come on. You yeah. Know, like, get over we here. We need a bomb guy. You're our bomb guy. Yeah. Um, uh, but, but, of course, within the San Francisco sequence, we also not only have this drama of them trying to get the bomb out of city limits, but we do have a monster battle. I mean, that that's what I was going to say. Like, despite all that, the whole third act is, again, she's awesome. You know what? Like, there's no doubt that every good Godzilla movie has a good monster battle behind it. Mm. There's no Godzilla movie that doesn't have an excellent monster battle, at least somewhere within its walls of cinema. And this is among some of the most fun. Yeah. And yeah. I think, again, there's an affection because it's really the first monster fight that I really, really enjoyed. Mm-hmm. Um but there's so many awesome moments. I do like, again, that scale moment, by the way, before we get into the fight, where, like, you have, like, Aaron Taylor Johnson, like, actually, like, standing with, you know, or standing up to Godzilla. Yeah, and, that's like, great. And, and, like, looking up. And yeah. there's just that moment. Again, small moment there, but really gets you the sense of the awe of seeing that. Yeah. Um, but the Muto fight. Well, so- it, it's these constant, like, moments of, like, of humbling and of, and showing and even like a, showing humility yeah, towards yeah. like this bigger thing. Yeah. Um uh, but the Mudo fight again 
But as I said before, what works about it is making them threats is there's this two-on-one nature mm-hmm. to where you see Godzilla Godzilla kind of get beaten. But, and this was another watershed moment in the theater, because up until this point, you kind of forget. Oh, yes. Other, yes. And there's other aspect of the Godzilla yes. character. You kind of forget, like, the atomic breath. Yeah. And when he starts lighting Like, up, there was a moment where you was like, wow, this movie was, like, so good. It got away with never doing the atomic breath. But the moment when you see the light, and then you're like, what is that? And then, I, like... I had, yes. And then, and then, like, when they pan over, and it's you see it's the tail lighting up, and it's doing, like, this power-up, like, going up his spine. Yeah. Dude, I remember in the theater grabbing my chair just being like oh 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 i was the same way because it's just like you're kind of thinking because he's got he's he's kind of getting his ass kicked by these mudos and, mm-hmm. and it's like oh, what's he gonna do to get out of this he's just gonna brute strength his way out but then you see the lighting up happen and love the power up kind of animation that that, that has it's mm-hmm. kind of like the that. sound too the sound is great and but it's also just like it's kind of like this is godzilla mm-hmm you know, because again, inf- infamously, like '98 didn't have that. '98 mm-hmm. didn't have that moment. But it's like you kind of see, like, and it's again a thing that you kind of, you know, even to me as like kind of a budding, you know, getting interested in Godzilla person, you kind of knew that was a thing. You yeah. kind of knew he had the breath. So seeing that in that way presented in such a cool kind of badass moment for him, that's one of that was one of the best moments I had in theaters in 2014. Absolutely, just like like a top five like. That was awesome, and I like the I like the reference that they make it more of like a gaseous breath because mm-hmm. that was kind of like a throwback to the original fifty four film that it was like kind of more of like a like a, an atomic gas that yeah. that came out. So I kind of like the uh, the uh, reference back to that. But I mean, everything about the fight. I mean, the the way that they portray the Mutos, like especially the male one when it's flying around, like looks like an old school kind of like mm-hmm. like the way that it just. Again, the ana- the the special effects and animation work in this is so impeccable. Like the way that it moves across the sky just reminds me of like you know like Batra or something like mm-hmm, going through mm-hmm. the sky and yeah and the weight of it and and it another does, thing it I- does have a feeling of an old school like Toho battle yeah like, but I, also I, I, looks I, I, like animals fighting with yeah. each other. I think there is a sense of there's a mixture. It's like a mixture of like a hasty era battle with the animals like you know like animals. Animal mm-hmm. documentaries. Yeah, absolutely. I and I think um I think that all definitely works. And another thing I like about all the action is that I never felt that the action was like titillating in the sense of like, oh man, let's explode things. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like I, I no, felt there like there was no role in emerald instinct here. Y- yeah, there there was always like cause I mean, I think the most spectacular you get is like the airport that that big ex- big explosion before yeah. the foot comes down but i in some ways i felt like there was a purpose to show some artistry to the destruction rather than a oh we're blowing shit yeah. up and i think it's kind of like it was kind of a benefit of like you know animating all that because there you can it's like more of like a controlled kind of like art piece of the mm-hmm. explosion but even like as like especially through the buildings of san francisco i think it works very well yeah it, it's like when it's crushing through building it's not like oh man like a building is falling yeah. down it's more so like oh man like this is selling these creatures fighting it's is selling that throwing... the natural disaster aspect of it yeah. like that's really what it is it's selling this aspect of like these are forces of nature, mm-hmm. and and this isn't something to like, you know, like you know, it's not, yeah, th- you know, Captain America has Mjolnir, like it's not like that type of mm-hmm. moment. It is a moment 
that's like, oh man, like these are two giants going out, and that like the, just the collateral. Damage. But without it being like glo- gloom and no, doom. No, either. no, yeah. no. Yeah, there's still like again a positive energy to the way it's portrayed, and especially because again you now have Godzilla in this role of being the character you're rooting for. There mm-hmm. is a sense of like just there's a little bit of the way that they present Godzilla. There's almost a naturalness of like, well, he is the hero, right? Because of the the way that the Mutos are presented to the audience, and yeah. and I like that, you know, because again, it's something which, in terms of this podcast, we haven't seen in a while, like in terms of that of Godzilla being this pure, like not pure, but like really being on the heroic side, right, right? Because you know, Final Wars does it, but it's like a little bit all over the place in it, and it's like. Otherwise, you're really going back to like the later Showa era or the late Hasey era at best to really grab that stuff. So see Godzilla really kind of be on this winning side and 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 you know being someone you can root for. I think is a lot of fun, and 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 within the sequence of it being kind of seriously presented makes it fun. I did lie about one thing. There is one titillating moment in the in, in in all the destruction. Yeah. And it's when Godzilla breathes fire down the throat of a Muto and yes. rips its head off. <laughs> yes. <laughs> because I remember in the theater That's a that's a kill shot. Everybody thought like it was gonna do like the rip the head apart thing, yeah. but then Godzilla just like just shoots it all into its head. And, and I'm and like, the, yes. length, the length of the shot and everything. It's like it's, that. it's it's amazing. And then so yeah, and then the movie ends, they put the bomb on the fastest boat in San Francisco. Uh, <laughs> yeah, that gets it to a safe distance, and, and, then, and um, Aaron Taylor Johnson gets, um, yeah, reunite with his family, which you kind of said this best years ago, and you kind of made me realize movies in this way a little bit that, like, you know, if a movie hits a point and you care and you find yourself caring, then the movie kind of ultimately did its job, even if you didn't, even if you did, like, a movie can deceptively be like, oh, yeah, I guess I was on board for that more than I thought. You could be watching what you think is a stupid movie, but then when person A and B get together at the end, you'd be like, oh, the movie kind of did its job. What's the movie that you got pissed off that you cared about recently? I don't even remember. I, I, my, at home, my mom showed me this, like, rom-com movie that I thought was garbage, but then when I found out it was, like, it ended on a cliffhanger and I didn't get to find out if they got together or not i found out that a i was mad that i didn't find out and then b i was mad that i realized that meant that the movie got me on board to care that much yeah so but that's a good point i made a couple years ago it was yeah good good job past me but um i I honestly think if more people viewed film that way yeah i think that because i think well i mean if you don't care you don't care care, but but i but i feel like that's ultimately i think people will focus on flaws a lot and Mm. not focus on what's positive and at the end of the day that moment when when Ford gets reunited with his family, it does pull on my heartstrings. Yeah, and I do think that's a well acted and well shot and 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 well put together moment that really puts together what this movie was. Mm-hmm. And at the end of the day, I cared about that, and I, I like this movie a lot. But it really just does get to me. No, when 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 Aaron Taylor Johnson and Elizabeth Olsen finally do reconvene it, it's a nice moment that feels earned and i do feel it, it and it's and it becomes the heart of the movie in the way that i think after multiple viewings has shown that all the humanity is focused on the family portion of it and and it and it seems so it seems so either like cliche or just like kind of something you can roll your eyes at again but the fact that you're taking this huge there's 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 an elegance in the simplicity of it where it's 
you're taking this idea of big monsters and big gods, and then you're like, well, when you make it all about family at the end of the day, that's the perfect counterweight to that because yeah. it it is it, it almost seems too simple, but that's kind of like the beauty in it. And then the movie ends with probably my favorite ending shot in a Godzilla film in which you have all this destruction. You have this bombast of Godzilla, like, you know, finally like leaving the city. Right. Cause Godzilla has basically been passed out. Right. Like he, he put so much energy into defeating these Mutos that he essentially passed out in the middle of the city. Right. And then you even see these news reports. Like you see kind of like on the stadium, like, you know, it was just being used as like kind of a reunite point, but you see like kind of the news and then like the headline means Godzilla hero question mark. And you just see like people like, you know, coming around the, the, the body and then, you know, have Sarah Zawa and, and uh, Sally Hawkins's character come up and, you know, mm-hmm. especially that's a moment that really matches up well yeah. with King of the Monsters and yeah. kind of a nice parallel there. But then Godzilla wakes up and walks, you know, slowly lumbers back to the sea. People are kind of clapping and cheering and then Godzilla slinks into the ocean. Yeah. And then the waters are calm. Yeah. For the first time it's, in a long to time. To this day has been my one of my absolute favorite things it's about the movie. It's such a good ending to this movie. Because uh, and it's, it's almost like that nature thing. Use, it's like when the storm ends, then the seas yeah. will calm. Like yeah. and it's almost as if it didn't happen. And yeah. and it kind of it and it, it even kind of like makes you like think of the mystery of like well, where does he go? Like, you yeah. know, like it's like, cause it's such this massive thing. Like how can he just like go into the sea and like nothing. And like, there's almost no sense of like that he was there at all. And yeah. it, it just adds and, and, to and the majesty and, it, and, and the iconic. It's not just of that. It's not just the calmness. It's a, it's the linger. Yeah. It's the little linger. The camera gets before it goes to black of just the calm of the sea. Yeah. And it really does kind of capture, you know, it's a baller ending. Yeah. There's a dude, I I swear there's a lot of good filmmaking in this movie and if there's one thing as we wrap up that I can impart about the movie is that I've often said that Godzilla movies are at the end of the day, you know, there's a lot of good thematics, there's some good character stuff in them and they and they can be fun, silly and whatnot. But they're they're movies kind of driven by craft a lot of the time uh-huh. that like you know the craft of making the suits work the craft of making explosives and pyrotechnics work about how to make models work and i think that gareth edwards came in and uh and and again i and i'm on record on this show about talking about little issues with the story that i have and like little kind of flaws that i think could have been ironed out just from a script perspective especially in the second half of the film um but ultimately he comes in and does such a good job um, portraying, once again, the scale of these creatures, uh, the quiet humanity. Again, I think, and the fact that there's that dichotomy, that there's this huge scale and awe of the creatures, but then there's also nails those quiet, intimate moments with the characters, and the fact that he goes back and forth between those, and I think... The way that they tied in, as the, the, my mileage may vary as the film goes on, but the fact that those moments are so impeccably well-directed mm-hmm. makes this film, in many ways, again, as I said at the top of the show, one of the most underrated uh, directorial uh, efforts of um, of him. And, and to this day, like, you know, I know I've joked about it many times, but I'm still stoked to see what that next Gareth Edwards movie is. And, you know, I don't mean to, like, you know, you know, to make fun of or make light about it, but it's like Rogue One's kind of in that weird territory where it's like, I don't, 
it's kind of hard to use that film as like the litmus test for like you know what his entire what the entirety of his skill set and what the mm-hmm. result of it would be but i've always been on the side where like he made one badass movie with th- with this film it's so good. um it's and, definitely like easily yeah. one of the best ones we've seen yeah and then and, and, and it holds up as one of the best ones we've seen because i knew I wanted to wait to rank it, and I'll probably consider my rankings a little bit after we record this, like where I actually settle it. But I knew from day one, as I was kind of putting these movies in, that this will always end up very high. Yeah. And it still does. It still, this movie still rules. It does. Despite all the little flaws that we've talked about and the things that maybe, you know, maybe Cranston could have been in it a little bit more. Maybe, you know, you do, you have another thing with Aaron Taylor Johnson. Maybe you kind of, you know, tighten the plot a little bit. Yes, they're all aspects of this movie. But at the end of the day, this movie rules. Yeah. And 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 it's definitely near the top of my Bondzilla, Godzilla list. And, and frankly, I think, like, has even given, even gotten a little bit better, dare I say, that now that it's part of this MonsterVerse. Yeah. Because that's another big thing. And I think... Uh, just as we kind of briefly go through the aftermath of it, and by the way, like there's bigger things. Like the movie actually was pretty successful. Like it, oh, yeah. it, 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 it was a decent success. It wasn't like this huge blow up success, but it, it was it like was, it was definitely like a return to like people seeing a Godzilla movie. Yeah, um, people. De- uh, so people showed up for it. It made a good amount of money. Toho was very happy with how the movie turned out. Much happier than they were with 98. Yeah, exactly. I would assume. To the point that they like said, like, oh, have more of our monsters and do that. I will say the one thing about the reception of this movie, uh, because I don't want to get into the, too much of the weeds on it, was that it was funny looking up this movie and like seeing like people write as like, oh yeah, no, it was like positively received. And I'm like, eh, like, so this, it's, that's kind of like, See, that. I, I always had the perception that people like this movie until you kept pointing out that people have issues. And I don't know if it's actually like people, I don't know if that's that echo chamber that we talk about. Yeah. I don't, I don't know if it's like, you know, there was a transition at some point where it was, and then people kind of soured on it a little bit later. I, I always felt that people were like enjoying this movie. I have most, I would say that a majority of my time talking about this movie with anybody has always been in defense of it. Like, I, there were many times where, at the most, like, because I think that there, again, it's that perception where I think critics were fairly favorable towards the direction that it went. It wasn't like a runaway critical success. Right. But I do think that that, you know, people not connecting to the human drama, the little Godzilla in the film, um, was always a sticking yeah. point with people. Yeah. And, and I, it and, a, I mean, it, it definitely was that online echo chamber of people who were like, that really could have been excited, really excited for Cranston. And then Cranston wasn't in as much as they thought. Mm-hmm. And like that sort of thing. So, yeah. So, I mean, but it is one of those things where I, I do want to point that out. And it kind of shows about like what's on paper, like with rotten tomatoes or reviews or scores or whatever, versus like what the actual legacy of a film was. Yeah. And in my in my perception, the legacy of the film has always been like it wasn't like this huge like everybody loved it movie. Right. Like you know, I think everybody was kind of like at at best, a lot of people were like, oh yeah, no, it was fine. The last ten minutes were cool. Like yeah. th- that was like nowhere near kind of like the 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 praise that uh, that we've been giving it. But I, I think the the bigger, more interesting thing to talk like the to wrap up on is that. The fact that it ultimately gave birth to the MonsterVerse. Yeah. And I think that with that in mind, this almost is, in retrospect, the perfect introduction yes. to the MonsterVerse. Yes. Because it's just grounded enough. And if you really look carefully, if you, and if you like watch the movie, 
it's already planting those seeds of like themes that will be explored upon in bigger yeah. movies. I yeah. Alright, not bigger movies and later movies. Yeah, I've said before that the only two I would say in my estimation for a while, the only other cinematic universe that got things right other than Marvel was this Monsterverse. Yeah. And that that they kept it down low and grounded. They didn't do too much too fast. They went with this one and, and Kong Skull Island right after these two kind of individual movies. They kind of let things settle, then continue on with Godzilla, and then we're finally getting our crossover. And like I think like just kind of taking it step by step and seeing how things go. Yeah, we'll see how it how it turns up and if it, if there's any future after Kong, but uh, or after Godzilla versus Kong. But I think that overall, I would say you know Marvel is definitely the king of the cinematic universe, but Godzilla is the king of the monsters of a of the cinematic universe. That was pretty good. That was pretty good off the cuff. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Uh, who's Harrison Ford in this movie? Oh, boy. Who is Harrison Ford? Um, he's like a... I feel like he's kind of... Um, you know what? He's probably... He's he's Brian Cranston's buddy... I was going to say the exact same who thing. Who calls Elizabeth Olsen mm-hmm. to tell them... Yeah. Your dad's locked up again. <laughs> right. Like, yeah, like there's that thing where, yeah, I would agree. It's like I was gonna say he's like, you know, uh, Brian Cranston's buddy, who's like the one, his one connection in Japan outside of like, you know, calling his family. Yeah, yeah. And so like, there's the one buddy, and then like even him's like, listen, like you gotta do something about this because right. I'm worried about my buddy. I'm worried about my buddy. <laughs> I can't get there in time. <laughs> McClunky. <laughs> I would, I would maybe insist like this may be a companion piece episode. Like I would, I would urge giving this movie a revisit after some of the things that we've talked about, yeah. like with the thematics and everything, and some of the the di- direction and the artistry behind it. I, I think, yeah, you, you I think an opportunity, would be surprised. especially this one, you know, should be somewhat easier to find than some of our other films. Yeah, um, but. It's not the final Godzilla film. <laughs> no, it's not. Uh, and uh, Nick, one of the other things about this uh, Godzilla film in the aftermath is that it started a new era for Godzilla and reinvigorated the franchise for yeah. the better. Um, and the first step would be Toho finally stepping back in the ring um, after 10 years. Because uh, two years after this film, they would release their newest um, Godzilla film in the what I guess has now been christened as the Rewa era. Yep. Uh, Nick, we are finally going to be able to talk about Shin Godzilla. Probably as much as I was excited about showing, about talking about this one, I'm very excited to finally have you sit down and watch yeah. this one. And it's interesting because we're, we're, this is, we'll, with that next one, we've already caught up with the live action, you know, Bonds. This is going to catch us up with, you know, Godzilla because we've already reviewed King of the Monsters. So, uh we're gonna we're we're quickly approaching like you know the mm-hmm. end game we're in the end game now um but until then it's not a, a godzilla movie it'll be a james bond um, movie so uh, well, nick what's not the ne- necessarily a james bond movie oh like, yeah, oh yeah i forgot yeah, yeah. <laughs> we're in the bond adjacent era of the bondzilla podcast and we're gonna end 2019 with a uh with another classic franchise that's a, a very recent franchise, mm-hmm. um, or at least recently reinvigorated, was Mission Impossible. Mm-hmm. And I thought it would be best to look at the most recent Mission Impossible film and end the year on a very Tom Cruise runny note in uh, 
Mission Impossible Fallout. I was about to say Mission Impossible Endgame. <laughs> Not the title of the movie. Uh, Mission Impossible Fallout. Yeah. Uh, and we'll take a look at where the modern Mission Impossible franchise has gone. All right. Well, Nick, that was great. Uh, and we're done. I'm done. You're done. Plug away. Uh, Plug away. Yeah. We have a Twitter account. Uh, Twitter.com slash Bonzilla007. We have a Facebook account. Facebook.com slash Bonzilla007. You can email us at bonzillapod at gmail.com. You can like and subscribe iTunes and SoundCloud. And uh, you can subscribe to Disney Plus on DisneyPlus.com. <laughs> um, where you can find Nick. Well, <laughs> where, and I did mention this on Twitter, where you you have a now you all have an easy way to watch Dario Gill and the Little People. That's true. Yes. So yes. you can see that movie, which I will that I will recommend to you officially. We we reviewed it on the podcast and recommended it there, but Go ahead and watch it. It's a part of my official Nick Disney Plus recommendations. All right, Nick. Well, until next time, if life ever feels like it's out of control, that the balance of man and nature is out of whack, just let them fight. Let them fight.